actually, uh, Donna was just sharing, it was okay, but she was just sharing with me, uh, you know, kind of had some stuff to challenge her this morning early. And, and I told her, it's kind of interesting because I woke up this morning and the first thing I heard the Lord say was, today's a day of smiles. Yeah. I've never heard that before. I'm 51 years old. never heard that before in my heart. Never like that. And that was real good. Today's a day of smiles. And that was just pretty cool. That's all I like that. So I'm counting on smiles. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a lot of good things going on. Um, man, just want to keep praying for one another. Just keep believing. I want to say this the right way. Yeah, we've talked a lot about a culture of honor. We, we've got to we've got to maintain the attitude of when I see you. My goal is to pull the gold out of you, to pull the gold out of you, to find the best in you. We've been so trained to see what's wrong with people. We've been deceived. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, we're looking at everything that's wrong with somebody rather than everything that's right with somebody. And, and, and we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to do a paradigm shift in our own mind. We've got to get to that point where we're looking at people trying to find the best in them, trying to find what's right with them rather than what's wrong with them. And it goes against the way you've been trained, but you've been trained by a deceiver. Because we've been trained by the world system, and the world system has been run by the... By the spirit of the world. So that, that, that actually has to become what I would call a conscientious shift. And that has to start in our home and then reach out from our home to our workplace, to our churches, to our family, you know, all the way through extended family, I guess what I'm saying. You know, so what we're looking for is saying, hey, how do I, how do I see? I honestly believe that one of the things that I, I feel is paramount that the Lord's placed in my heart for ministry is to help people see things differently. You'll never act differently if you don't see things differently. And I say that a lot because I'm, I'm still convinced that that's what I need to do is help people see things differently. And part of that is just I've got to think differently. I've got to look at things different. You know, the word repent is, literally translates to back to change the way you think. You know, so I've got to change the way I think. If I never change the way I think, I'm never going to change the way I act. So part of that is just being able to look at one another in a culture of honor, pulling the gold out of one another, trying to find out what's right with each other. You know, um, that's huge to me. Because if you were with us yesterday, what we were studying, we were studying the world's going to hate you. But it's okay because the world hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, and I've called you out of the world. That's an interesting phrase. We're going to talk about that. I called you out of the world. Because he does say that. It's an exact quote in the King James. I called you out of the world. Therefore, the world's going to hate you. And, and, and so, probably most of us, man, I hate to even bring this kind of stuff up, but the reality is that most of us have probably been involved in church life somewhere where we felt like the church hated us. The world thought we were okay. It was the church that seemed to hate us. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the challenge was the challenge was more in the church life than it was outside of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but in the process of that, and just to understand that, Jesus said the world would hate you. So wouldn't it be amazing if we actually, when we gathered together, we really felt like we were loved and accepted every time? 
And shouldn't it be that way? Yeah. Yeah. We've got to quit viewing the problem and start becoming the solution. Remember when, remember when the man born blind, uh, the disciples said, was this man born blind because of his sin or his father's sin? Y'all remember that? That's an interesting phrase. Why do you think they asked that? Why would they ask, it? was this man born blind because of his sin or his father's sin? I'll, go ahead, Sharon. They thought he was cursed. Absolutely. Obviously, they thought that blindness had to come as a result of sin, right? It was somebody's fault. We're going to blame some. This man's blind. It's got to be somebody's fault. Let's blame somebody. Was it him or his parents? Y'all see that? Well, how did Jesus respond? You know what he really said? He said, quit work looking for the problem and just become the solution. Why don't you just become the solution? This man was born for the glory of God. Right? And then he gets healed. What he's saying is, don't focus so much on the problem. Just become the solution. That to me is huge. It speaks volumes to me. I think we make a, a big deal out of a lot of stuff that should never have been made a big deal. Y'all follow what I say there? And there's, there's a reality to that. Like, what does it really matter? Why are we trying to find the, whose fault it was? Let's just fix it and move on. You know what I mean? What, why are we running around trying to point fingers everywhere? And, and honestly, I'm standing here with you. I, I don't have a, any particular situation in mind, so don't think, well, he's on a horse about something today. It's not that way at all, okay? You know, uh, It's not that way at all. It, I, I just really believe, uh, it's just things that, you know how your head just kind of spins a little bit? But, but can you see that? Was this man born blind because of his sin? Or his father said, Jesus, what's the difference? Just become the solution. Don't even worry about that. That doesn't even matter. Let's just fix it and move on. Which has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson today, but it's just really where my heart's at, you know? So, so back to where we were at, it, it, when we were studying yesterday, and we're talking about this, there's a phrase, I guess, that I didn't even, we really didn't even touch on yesterday, but in John 15, I guess we ought to go back and find it. Yeah, we were in John 15 yesterday, most of the day. Yeah, 19, if, the, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Everybody see that? Did he say, I've chosen you out of the world? What's that mean? I've chosen you out of the world. No, you're in the world. I am. Here I am. Yeah, we're no longer like the world. Okay. We're set apart. So I've chosen you out of the world means you're no more like the world? We're in the world, but not of it. Okay. What's that mean? Because he does say that later on. And we've, we've used that phrase in the church for a long time. You're in the world, but not of the world. What's that mean? Talk to me. Go ahead, Sharon. We have a different mindset than the world. Okay. We have a different spirit. Our citizenship has been changed. Our citizenship's been changed. That's a neat word. Right? Remember, because we're dealing with a kingdom mindset. So there you go. Okay. My thought life changed. Okay. We no longer think of the world, but of the Father of Heaven. I mean, our thoughts in our head, we don't think like of the world. Okay. We don't think on worldly thoughts. We think on heavenly thoughts. Okay. 
Okay. Let me, let me follow up on that and do this, okay? Um, five years ago, six years, well, probably been more than that. Probably been seven years ago, my mom died. Okay? According to the United States government, where's her citizenship now? It isn't. She's no longer a citizen of the United States. Once you're dead, your citizenship changes. That just hit me. Okay, so so I got to go write this down. Okay, once you're once you're dead, you're no longer a citizen. Right. Her her passport. Is no longer valid. Why? Because she's dead. Her driver's license is no longer valid. Why? Because she's dead. She's no longer a citizen of the United States. I've called you out of the world. Yeah, she doesn't even have to pay her taxes. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. Finally. <laughs> right? Okay, so check that out. That's a good word right there. Okay? Once you're dead, your citizenship changes. I've called you out of this world. I've called you to be dead. Yeah. Dead to the world. Dead to the things of the world. So we use the phrase, we're in the world, but not of the world. Okay? And then he says something. Okay? This is just huge to me. I've chosen you out of the world. Do you understand where the Calvinists would get the doctrine of unconditional election? I mean, you read John 15, you can see unconditional election all through there if you want to. You all understand unconditional election means that he's chosen you. It's, it's irresistible grace, unconditional election. There's five points of Calvinism. Anybody familiar with that? Because it's really, we're not going to get into a, a doctrinal thesis on Calvinism versus Arminianism. We're not even going there. But there, there's, there's five major points of Calvinism that, bear, that vary with Arminianism, and we won't get into all that. But I will tell you this, and I think it's huge, is we read stuff like that, and when we read it, from thinking, I'm going to use this phrase, thinking with the natural mind, it would be easy to see a lot of that. But when you're looking at it from a kingdom viewpoint, everything looks different. One of the hugest things in my life happened several years back. Um, I'll share this with you. It's really huge, okay? Um, I'm trying to remember what year it was, and it's probably been maybe nine years ago now, eight years ago, something like that. Um, Dr. John, a lot of you know Dr. John. He's, he's part of the church family here, part of the staff that does the Seven Valleys meetings. And he um, he'd handed me a couple of CDs by a guy named Bill Johnson I'd never heard of. And uh, if you hang around Dr. John more than 17 minutes, you will get a CD. Okay? <laughs> so, some, somewhere, somewhere in the first 17 minutes, you'll get one. Okay? So, some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay? <laughs> And every 17 minutes, you'll get another one. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's okay. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I would say he's probably handed out well over 75,000 CDs. I know at one point it was 40,000, and that was a couple years ago, because we talked about that at a meeting with me and him and Dan. Uh, but anyway, in the process, um, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't ever heard the guy, didn't, and I'd had CDs before, and I just, you know. And for whatever reason, I threw it in, and the guy was teaching it, and I thought, wow, I've never heard this before. But you know how, because, how many of you are like this? I've never heard this before, but we become resistant 
to change. We get a little resistant to change, you know. But it planted something and it was spinning in my head, right? But remember that I'm an old-time Pentecostal, right? I mean, and I've known a certain way of doing things and got pretty good at doing things a certain way, you know what I mean? And this was, this was challenging my thinking. For most of us, we don't like to have our thinking challenged. Because if they're right, that meant the people that I loved, respected, who taught me might have, might have been wrong. And I don't, love, I don't like to think they might have been wrong because what they taught me, I taught everybody else. So that meant I would have been wrong. But it wasn't my fault. They taught me. Okay. Because <laughs> we do that, right? Okay. Okay. Now watch this. Watch this. Because it's huge. There's a, there's a snowstorm and I'm out in, I'm out at, in East York at Galleria Mall. Because uh, I had to pick something up at uh, a suit store there. I was probably picking up a suit. I think that's what I was doing. And uh, I'd stopped to get it. And my phone rang, and it was a girl named Sue Hoke. Not George's wife, but a different Sue Hoke. Uh, Mike and Sue, that uh, they have a little business in, in York, and they had another little business here. Yeah, that's, as a matter of fact, that's maybe mine. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and and while, we were, while we were on the road, while I was on the road, I was talking to her, and... Uh, it was a bad snowstorm, and she's and she's. I mentioned to her I was in East York at the gallery. She said, "Could you swing by the Christian bookstore for me?" And uh, I I said, "Sure." What's going on? And she had a book there that she wanted me to pick up for her. And this is a book. Dean knew the story I was telling you. It's called Rediscovering the Kingdom. It's a book by Miles Monroe. Um, amazing book. But what happened was. She asked me would I pick the book up for, and I said, sure. And she said, um, this guy was on Benny Hinn, right, and she'd watched him, and she said, the stuff he was teaching I never heard before, but it was amazing to me. And I was, um, I was in my mind thinking of the CD I just got from Bill Johnson, stuff I heard, that, that, you know what I mean? So it just kind of clicked, well, it was the same stuff. I picked up the book for her that night and was supposed to give it back to her, give it to her the next day when I saw her. She never got the book. <laughs> and that's not true. I kept it for about two weeks. In the meantime, I went to Ollie's. And I mean, who knows if you want Christian books, go to Ollie's. I paid, I, I bought her book for her. It was $22 and change, right? I bought them at Ollie's for three ninety five. dollars Hers was hardback. The ones I bought were softback. But you know what? The material was still the same. I'm telling you. Three bucks, 22 bucks. I'm a done deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I started to read this. And, and you know, I love to read. I'm a reader anyway. But there are certain books that you just get in your hands and you can't put them down. This is one in books. It opened up my eyes to seeing things that I'd never seen before. And looking at, at the... I'm telling you, the scripture started coming alive. Everything had a different view. All of a sudden, everything, everything that I began to read took on a different viewpoint because I started looking at it from a kingdom mindset. And I'd never done that before. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So then the Lord just started bringing people into my life and I started teaching series on, 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 uh, on, on walking in the kingdom and, and um, creating a kingdom culture. And, uh, and God just started downloading stuff in my heart. We started surrounding me with people who had a similar mindset and pretty soon God just started doing That's why the new thought, as a matter of fact, anything that you get from Harvest Chapel will say a kingdom-minded church because everything changes when you look at it from a different view. Do you understand when he says... I've chosen you out of this world. Why? Your citizenship's changed. 
Yeah, a dead man's citizenship is no longer the status. You understand that? So, so it's an incredible book. A lot of what is in this book today, you would probably already have somewhat of an understanding of simply because you've been hanging out here long enough. You know what I mean? But there's amazing stuff in here. It takes the, it takes the culture. Like, why did Jesus come when he come? You know what it says? Um, when the time was fully come, God sent his son. Why did he wait all those years? It's 4,000 years from Adam's fall till Jesus comes. It has a lot to do with, with the, the nation of Rome and the Roman Empire. It's in his book, and I explain that. It's just really, really amazing when you look at it from that viewpoint. Because Rome set us an example of how, how a culture has changed. Because what he's called us to is a kingdom culture. One of the things the Lord spoke to my heart early on was this, and I think this is a huge thing. He said, instill a kingdom mindset, create a kingdom culture, and you'll impact your community for the kingdom of God. Instill a kingdom mindset and create a kingdom culture. I I think that's a huge phrase, but the Lord spoke that to my heart. So we've been working with the idea of instilling a kingdom mindset and changing a culture. But I really believe that God's all about changing culture. Because the culture that we in the body of Christ live in should reflect the culture of heaven. How do we do that? We have to have a kingdom mindset. Which is a whole lot of what's going on here during this time. Our identity changes. We think different. We change the way we think. We, we just begin to see things differently. And as we see things differently, we're going to respond to them differently. So that when somebody comes and hates you, you don't hate them back. Because how many of us grew up with, you've heard Dan say this over and over, I love you, do you love me? Right? Why? Because we also lived with this, you hate me, fine, I hate you. Did you grow up that way? Come on, most of us grew up that way. You know, somebody's going to be mean to you, what are you going to do? You're going to be mean to them. Well, they don't like you, well, that's okay, I didn't like them anyway. Okay? <laughs> and we get an attitude about it at the same time. Come on, we do that. You know what I mean? We've got to change the way we think. The idea is Jesus said, hey, the world's going to hate you, but don't worry about it. They hated me first, okay? And, and, and he says, I've chosen you to live outside of that realm. Don't even think that way. That's really what he's saying. I'm, cha- I'm, I'm challenging you. Don't even think like they think. We've got to think differently. We'll never act differently if we don't think differently. Everybody okay with that? Now watch, because there's a couple of neat things that he says. Because we got down there. He says, verse 23, he says, he that hateth me hateth my father also. Then he says, if I didn't do the works that I did, they'd have had a cloak and been able to hide behind their sin, but now the cloak's been removed. Okay? All right? That's what he says. But watch this. Verse 26. But when the comforters come. That's where we stopped yesterday. Remember that? But when the comforters come, whom I'll send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of the Comforter. The Comforter that you said you would send. God, I thank you. Father, I thank you. You sent your Son. And then when your Son returned to heaven, he sent the Comforter. Who would be with us and be in us and testify. And Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. You're empowering your people through your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for an empowerment from on high. I thank you for grace and love and mercy, goodness and kindness. And God, I'm just asking you, just, just instill in our hearts today so much more that just brings us to a deeper place of identity, a deeper place of, of belonging, a deeper, a deeper sense of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And 
Lord, we just welcome you right now. Come and minister to us individually and corporately. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we just want to bless your name. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for an empowerment of your Holy Spirit from on high. And Lord, we just bless you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to be our teacher and our guide. Yeah. Um, I was taught that the worldliness is the lust, the eye lust, the flesh, and pride of life. So. That's love of the world. Yeah, First John two fifteen. Okay. okay. That's the love of the world. Sure. That that that's incorporated into that. Absolutely. You understand what she said? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. It all, it all deals back. You can go back to the very fall in the garden, and it all stems back to that as well. It's very, very visible when you see Eve's temptation. Okay? But let's go with this. Um, anybody here raised in the Pentecostal church? Okay, so a lot of you were raised in the Pentecostal church. Okay, some of you were. Do most of you remember your first experience in in, in I'm gonna. I don't even know how to say this. For the first experience in Pentecost, like the first time you walked into a group of Charismatics or Pentecostals, and you went, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> what did I get into now?" Okay, um, I'm 18 years old. I'm 18 years old, and I met Lori. We're in a. We worked together in a little store. It was called uh, Murphy Mart. Very similar to a small scale Walmart. You know what I mean? Called Murphy Mart. As a stock boy. Um, I started there when I was 16, so I'd been there two years. Do you realize that when you're 18 years old and you've been a stock boy for two years, you think you own the store? Okay. <laughs> okay. So the personnel director is a girl named Shirley Palermo, and Shirley and I were friends. She was quite a bit older, uh, but we'd made friends, and we'd laugh together all the time. And I knew when they were doing like uh, a training for all the new hires, right? Now, if you're a stock boy and they're hiring a bunch of new girls, it's your job to check out the stock. Uh, okay. so, 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 so I thought, hey, I should, I should go. Had a, had a guy named Brent Frenchek who was with me, and him and I were we'd been stock boys back here, you know, for quite a while. And uh, so, so Brent and I went back to the to the personnel room, and we just walked in the room. And Charlie said, "Can I help you guys?" So we told, "Nope, we're just here to check out the new stock." And it was the first time I saw Lori. Um, Lori was sixteen years old. And back then, you, you know, everybody uh, was a whole different generation. You know, they were talking 35 years ago or something like that, you know, and 30 couple anyway. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, she had that whole Farrah Fawcett hairstyle going on. You know what I mean? I, when we got married, I carried a graduation picture in my wallet. And the honest truth is when I was working in the mill, people thought that that was the picture that came with the wallet. You know what I mean? They didn't believe that was my wife until a couple of them that knew Lori said, no, that's his wife. Uh, just beautiful. And I, when I saw her in, in that room, I said, I told French, I said, I'm, mar- I'm marrying that girl. I'm going to marry that girl. You know what I mean? Well, I found out, you know, we, we spent a little time together. We talked. And, uh, find, and the truth, uh, I'll be real honest with you, but don't tell her. Um, her, well, the girl that she was working for, uh, Mabel Wallace was her name, and, and uh, I went to her. What's that? I wouldn't go there. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, she told me that Lori was engaged. So I thought, okay, then I, you know, I'm not going to ask her out because I'm not going to interfere in that. You know, she's, she's engaged to somebody else. She told me she was engaged because Lori had a hope chest. And if you know old time things, when you got engaged, you bought a hope chest, start putting stuff in your hope chest. Well, Lori had been buy, buying a few things for her hope chest. So they, Mabel just assumed she was engaged. You know what I mean? And, uh, 
So I never asked her out. We talked a lot. And finally, after maybe a couple of weeks, she said to me, she says, can I ask you something? I said, what? She says, why, why didn't you ever ask me out? <laughs> and I said, well, you're engaged. She said, what? I said, Mabel told me you're engaged. She said, I'm not engaged. <laughs> I said, oh, really? She, she said, no, I've, I've never been engaged. Where'd you get that idea? I said, I don't know. She, Mabel told me you were engaged. She said, well, I'm not, so you can't ask me out. <laughs> So, so, uh, so I took the hint, <laughs> and, and it's true. True. Now you gotta understand. I was raised Roman Catholic, right? So, so I said to her, I said, we, "You want to go out Sunday night?" Because this was like on a Friday or a Saturday, or whatever. And I said, "You want to go out Sunday night?" She said, "Well, I gotta go to church Sunday night." And I said, "Well, don't you go Sunday morning?" And she said, "Yeah." And I looked at her. I said, "You mean you go Sunday morning and Sunday night?" And Wednesday, that's exactly what she said. And Wednesday night, I said, you go to church three times a week? She said, every week? I said, are you like really bad? <laughs> I thought, I don't know if I want to mess with this girl. You're going to be in church three times a week. She, she, she's trouble. <laughs> we went to church on that Sunday night and went, went out afterward, you know, went out for sandwiches or whatever afterward. That Sunday night was... A, it was a very unique experience to me. Today, I would look at it and say it was a pretty dry service, but I'd never seen anything like this because, again, I walked into church, and some of you that have some Catholic roots would understand. I walked into church, and first of all, I'm shocked there's no holy water, okay, because you've got to dip your fingers and do this, you know. There isn't. The church has theater seats, but there's two rows with pews, Right? So we go up to sit down, and I genuflect and thought, okay, nobody else did that. I don't know if you don't all know genuflect, but in the Catholic Church, you genuflect. I, I genuflect and realize, okay, nobody else does that here, okay. And, and it comes time to pray, right? We all stand, and it's time to pray. And so I said, okay, nobody's doing that, okay. <laughs> and they all prayed out loud. I don't know if you've ever been to a church where they pray, they call it concert prayer. Everybody prays out loud together. And the guy, the pastor says, okay, let's, we're going to stand and pray. And, and, and he starts to pray, and they all started praying with him. And I'm thinking, shh, the man's praying. Because <laughs> it's all foreign to me. How many understand? We live in a whole different culture. You know, you, you understand that? That's huge to understand when people are coming into our services. If you've been raised one way and you just think this is all normal, I got news for you. There's a lot of people who look at us and think we're, we're out there. You know what I mean? Because uh, I was one of them. The second Sunday night I went to church with her, I'm telling you, they had a Holy Ghost barn buster. I'm telling you, that, that right from the very first song, the thing broke loose. People are jumping up and down the aisle, running up and down like Indians. And I'm thinking, and, and, and they're speaking in tongues. I never heard any of this. And it is a Holy Ghost barn buster. I mean, the place lit up. And I'm like, God, if you get me out of here, I promise I won't come back. Because <laughs> okay? I was freaked out. But I, I identify with that sometimes when people haven't been in a spirit-filled atmosphere. It can be freaky. It was very freaky for me. Some of you can identify. I can tell by looking. You know, you're saying, yeah, I've been there. Here's what happened. Can I, I'll just be real transparent with you. The first time I went to that church, you understand, the Catholic church I went to had 3,000 members. 
I'd been an altar boy for eight years. From the time I was eight until I was 16, I was an altar boy. At 16, they made me a commentator at the 11 o'clock mass. A commentator is the guy who reads the scriptures for the priest. So I would stand at the lectern. He would be in that little box, and I'd stand at the lectern. I'd read all the scriptures for him, and then he would he would elaborate then and do his thing, and I would go back and sit down. But that I did that for about two years. My mom was convinced I was going into the priesthood. There was a whole bunch of stuff. Like we had a bunch of priests in our family. So very, very strong Catholic roots. But you understand there was 3,000 people there. Lori went to a little church on Broad Street in Butler. Broad Street was a bad section of town. And the little church that she went to um, had about 30 people going there. So I was used to 3,000. Do you understand the culture shock of going from a, like a $16 million church with 3,000 people to a $150,000 church with 30 people? There's a culture shock there. But I'll tell you what really messed with me. I'd go to a church with 3,000 people. If 10 of them shook my hand, it was like a strange day. I went to a church with 30 people, and all 30 of them hugged me and said they were glad to see me and glad I was there. And I noticed something. I was the only one with long hair. I had real long hair back in, and I really did have hair, really. I got pictures. Okay. <laughs> I can prove it. But I had long hair, and I you know, dressed a little different than they all did. And I was driving a van. It was a party wagon. You know what I mean? Everybody had them back in, a brand new one. It was a very nice one kind of miss that thing anyway (laughs) i like my van but anyway uh but the idea behind it was they all hugged me they all told me they was glad to see me and they acted like they meant it told me they hoped i came back next week and i did and it really it messed with me like they were glad i was there i felt a sense of belonging i felt like somebody actually wanted me to be a part i didn't know scripture back then i do today John thirteen thirty five says, by this would all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. I can tell you something. I like that little girl I went with. That's probably why I went back. But I can tell you this. We dated for about five or six months and we broke up for a little season. And I kept going. And it wasn't about her anymore. I felt loved, accepted, and affirmed there. That meant a lot to me. Everybody wants a sense of belonging. You ever been a stranger in a new church? Doesn't that feel odd sometimes? Like you walk in and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're wondering. One of, the, one of the really neat privileges I have as a pastor, Reed's kind of shared it. Uh, I guess last night, we were talking last night. Reed shared it and Rachel was here last night and Patrick, Rachel kind of shared some of the same thing. Is you walk into a place and automatically, you ever get like, you know, there's a sense of belonging. It's like a sense of, I've come home. I've never been here before, but I've come home. What an amazing feeling that is. God help us to cultivate that culture. God help us to cultivate that kind of culture. Because if we can cultivate that kind of culture, we can impact our community and change the world. God's called us to that. And that's huge to me. I don't know if that speaks the volumes to you that it does to me. But it means a lot to me. That we would cultivate a culture where people are touched and affected just because they've come into our presence. He's called us to that place. That's a huge thing to me. So, so when I read this, when he, the spirit of truth has come, I'm sorry, didn't even say that. When he, the comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the father, he'll testify of me. I'm going to talk about several different things in this verse right now because we have to spend a little time on this. First of all, he says, when, when the comforter has come. Isn't it neat that he called him the comforter? The comforter. Later on, he's going to send, he's going to tell you another comforter. One of the the same kind is what that means in in Greek, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
but he calls him the comforter. I believe he called him the comforter because he knew there'd be times when he would stretch you and you would be uncomfortable. I believe that. I, I, I really do. I, I, believe, I believe God will stretch you, and in those times when you're stretched, you're going to need a comforter because you're going to be uncomfortable. One of the most impactful things that happened to me in the last year, uh, some of you know a guy, um, an incredible guy, Eric Ostrom. Eric comes to church here. Eric and his wife, Diane, they have a daughter, Jenny. Um, incredible, incredible people. Uh, Eric came to me in a service, and uh, before service, and, and he reached out his hand like this. And uh, he said, I have something for you. So I reached out my hand like this. And he put a rubber band in my hand. And I had no idea what he was doing. It was a real thick one. And it was pretty big around, but it was one real thick rubber band. And he put that in my hand. And uh, I looked at it. And he said, that's you. He said, the Lord told me to give you that. That's you. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, it's a big fat rubber band. What are you trying to tell me? Okay. <laughs> what do you mean, Eric? <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I know no idea. And he said, the rubber band serves its value only when it's stretched. The rubber band serves its value. Only when it's stretched. And he said, the Lord said, he's stretching you this year. He's stretching you this year. But he said, you're up to the task. And he, he just kind of prophesied over me a bunch of really cool stuff. I kept that rubber band on my desk for a long time. I played with it all the time and I would stretch it and I broke it. I hope that wasn't prophetic. Okay. 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 But, but it was amazing to me, you know. I thought the more I messed with it, then I broke it. So don't mess with me. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but, but it was on my desk for, for probably the best part of the year. He said, the com- we called him the comforter. Because he knew there were times when we would be stretched and be uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit would empower us and give us comfort in the times that we're stretched and uncomfortable. He says, when, it, when, when he, the, the comforter, I love this. When the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. Beautiful to see the Trinity right there. You know, uh, that, that's, that to me is amazing. The comforter is going to come. I'm going to send him and he's coming from the Father. It's an amazing verse right here. Okay. Now watch this because there's a whole bunch in there. I'll cover it deeper because it gets, it gets really, really evident here and just, in, just real clear. Even the spirit of truth. You know what I love? Remember I talked about this book, uh, Miles Monroe, Rediscovering the Kingdom? For years, for probably 15 years, I pastored and I preached truth. Can I say this? And it probably was revelatory to me, a phrase. There's truth and then there's greater truth. I really believe the spirit of truth will lead you into greater truth. But you're not ready for greater truth until you can receive truth. And once you're open to truth, he can give you greater truth. 
And I really believe there's even greater truth. I honestly believe, can I say this? I believe the youth group in this church will preach messages one day that we've never heard yet. I'm so impressed with the idea that one day I'm going to be an old man sitting in the congregation while the people who are you <laughs> on Saturday nights. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, I sit on Saturday nights now. But I'll listen. I'll listen to the youth that I look at today as young kids. And they'll preach and I'll sit there totally amazed at the revelation they have. And go, wow, I wish I'd have known that when I was your age. You know what I mean? But I honestly believe they'll preach messages we've never heard. I believe the truth that they're going to walk in will just dazzle us. That's amazing to me. I love that. Why? Because the spirit of truth. Do you understand that? Jesus called him the spirit of truth. Can I say this? I believe this with all my heart. If they're... Satan twists and perverts everything that's of God. So I believe if there's a spirit of truth, then there must be a spirit of error. Error. Yeah. If there's a spirit of truth, then there must be a spirit of error. You twist truth. One of the greatest challenges in my life wasn't learning, it was unlearning. I had a lot of stuff I had to unlearn. I can even be real transparent and tell you, after all these years, there's still some stuff I'm unlearning. I don't even know if that's the right word or not. I'm not real good on the whole vocabulary thing, but I can tell you, I'm still unlearning some stuff, okay? In the process of that, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth, okay? And then I love this. He says, so he says, when the comforters come, whom I'll send unto you the Father, from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he'll testify of me. He'll speak about me. Testify to proclaim. To make a proclamation. To make a declaration. And you also shall bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. He said, you'll be my witnesses. I'm busy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, to me, that's, that, that's an amazing phrase. Okay. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. You understand chapters and verses we did about 100 years ago. It's only been about 100 years that we've had chapters and verses. There's a bad break right here. I think that verse probably ties in better with the last chapter than the next chapter. But watch this. These things have I spoken unto you that you won't be offended. Somebody just taught on being offended. Was it Dan Saturday night? The word offended means cause to stumble? Okay. Was it in class? Yep. Okay. Yeah. These things have I spoken unto you that you wouldn't be offended. To me, that's an amazing verse. The word offended there means, I'm telling you this so you don't stumble. Why? Because the world's going to hate you. Who wants to be hated? Nobody wants to be hated. I ran around for years and years and years because I wanted everybody to like me. You can take it back to culture and background and the way you grew up and whatever you might want to call it, but I just had this thing in my mind. I didn't want anybody to not like me, so then you run around and you become a people pleaser. 
Can I tell you something? It's literally impossible to be a God pleaser and a people pleaser. You can, you can grow in wisdom and favor with God and man. But I've got to tell you something. Was Jesus a God pleaser? Was he a people pleaser? He grew in favor with man, but there were some that loved him and others that hated him. Why? Because when you speak truth, you're going to cause people to be offended. Remember what I said is that even when I first heard, the very first time that I started hearing anything about a kingdom message or a kingdom mindset, I I got very, very challenged because it went against what I was taught. So my immediate thing was, I can't receive that because... That goes against what I was taught. So men that I loved and esteemed and held in high honor who taught me what I knew, what I was hearing here challenged what they taught me and I loved, respected, and honored them. So to almost, it felt in my mind, watch this, because Satan will mess with your head. If I embrace this, I'm dissing them. It would almost be like I'm disrespecting what they said because now I've embraced a truth that's different than what they taught me. Y'all follow that? So now truth had begun to offend me, and I didn't even realize it. Y'all get this, right? So in the process, now I've got to ask myself, do I embrace this truth? But if I do that, then what I'm saying is they didn't have the revelation. But I held them in high esteem. These were the men that transformed my life. These were the men that I honored. These were the men that I aspired to be like them. And all of a sudden, now truth is hitting me, and I'm like, how do I deal with this? That makes... And and so now I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this? So I have to make a decision. I have to make a purpose in my heart. And I just realized that these were wonderful men who embraced what they understood. But there's light that's come now that maybe wasn't available to them. And it wasn't available. It doesn't take away from what they did. They walked in everything they knew and understood. This just wasn't something that was revealed to them. And you know what? You know what really helped me is there's a couple of those men that I really loved, and I thought, you know what? If they'd have heard this, I bet they'd have embraced it. And it really touched my heart. Jesus is saying, "I'm telling you these things so you won't be offended." I'm telling you these things, there's going to be people out there that are not going to embrace your truth. They're not going to embrace who you are. They're they're, they're going to hate you because you've challenged them and they like living where they're at. And they don't want to change. And they're not ready to embrace the truth that you're ready to embrace. And when they do, when you you bring that to them, they're going to, you're nuts, you're crazy or whatever. And, And you know what? He said, don't let that cause you to stumble. The world hated me, it's going to hate you. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I still love you. And there'll come a time in your life, and I, I promise you this, there will come times, there won't come out time, there will come many times in your life where you've got to make a decision in your heart, do I please him or them? Do I please him or do I please them? And it can be extremely challenging. Let me tell you this. I spoke to you a little bit about my family, my background, my culture. My mom wanted me to be a priest. Some of you know this, but my dad left home. He ran off with his secretary when I was 10 years old, right? My dad ran off with his secretary. Later on, my older brother would run off with his secretary. My wife said, you ain't getting no secretary. (laughs) 
My first, my first secretary here, truth, my first secretary here was an old fat man named Gary Latin. Okay, okay. Some of you know Gary. Okay, but, yeah, okay. Yeah. She said, you can have Gary. Okay, I said, okay, I ain't running off with him. But as a young man, I started going to church with Lori. Here's what I did. My mom was adamant that I would go to church with her, and I went every Sunday morning with her. I'd go Sunday evening and Wednesday evening with Lori, Sunday morning with mom, Sunday evening and Wednesday evening with Lori, until the point where I couldn't go to the Catholic church any longer. There was a conviction in my heart I needed to be Sunday morning in this Pentecostal church. I'd given my life to Christ. I really got born again and radically saved, and I went to mom and said, Mom, I'm, I'm not going to Catholic church anymore, and she freaked on me. I'm, she literally freaked on me to the point where she said, if you're not going to my church, you're not living under my roof. And that, that's true. I was working for Jim Brady at the time. I, I was uh, doing construction in 1978. So the, the, the would have been like February of 78. And I told her, I said, Mom, I can't do it anymore. I, so there's such a place in my heart. I just need to be in church with Lori on Sunday morning. Uh, I, 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 I feel like that's where God wants me. It was Church of God of Prophecy. And I said, I, I really need to be there. And she said, if you're not going to go to my church, you're not living under my roof. Jim Brady had a paint store, and above the paint store was an apartment. I knew it was open. So I ended up moving out and moving into the paint store with Jim Brady because I felt that that was such a conviction in my heart. But my family rejected me immediately. My, my mom and dad, who never talked, because since the time of the divorce, that was when I was 10. I'm 18 now, so it's been eight years. I mean, they, they might have talked, but usually their talk went something like this. Okay, that was pretty much the way they talked. Okay, so, but, but anyway, uh, it wasn't pretty. She calls my dad and says, man, we got to do something about this boy. He's in a cult. <laughs> He's in a cult. Something's wrong. we got to get him out of here. He's been brainwashed. <laughs> that'll, that'll preach, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was a mortal sin, right? Uh, but anyway, long and short of it all was, I had to come to a point where I had to make a decision. Please them or please him. Over and over in my life, I've been called to that place. Can I say it? With varying degrees of success. Sometimes when you're dealing with family, you're dealing with church, even as a pastor dealing with church members, you've got to make a decision. Am I pleasing God or pleasing them? And you're trying to, can I say this? We're trying to compromise and find a middle ground. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. Watch what Jesus said. You're either for me or against me. You're either gathering to me or you're scattering from me. Yeah, yeah. One of, the, one of the most amazing stories that I've heard, um, and it was an evangelist, and I can't remember who it was. I've heard it from several different people. First time I heard it was, a, was an evangelist who preached it, and I thought it was an amazing story. But he said uh, the Lord had given him a vision where there was a very, very large group of people and a lot of division among them. And a fence came up in the middle and divided the group in two. And Jesus came on one side, and Satan came on the other side. And he was sitting on the fence. And Satan started gathering up all of his, and Jesus started gathering up all of his. And he was sitting on the fence. 
And the devil came after he'd taken everybody away and Jesus had taken everybody away. He was alone sitting on the fence. And the devil came and says, oh, he says, I almost missed you. You're mine. And he said, no, man, I'm not on your side. I'm sitting on the fence. And the devil looked at him and said, yeah, but it's my fence. There's a lot of people that are trying to sit on the fence. What he said was, I own the fence. It's my fence. You're either gathering to me or you're scattering from me. Jesus was real clear about that. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either for me or you're for the devil. That's a strong phrase. A lot of people don't want to hear that. But the fact of the matter is very, very true. So, you know what? We're either pleasing God or we're pleasing people. And one of the challenges we have is that we look people in the eye. We don't really look God in the eye. So when you've got a face staring at you and you realize if I please them, it's probably not going to be what he wants. You've got, to have the, you've got to have the tenacity to tell that person no. And sometimes that can be a real challenge. But the fact of the matter is, he's empowered you. This is what I'm talking about. When the comforter has come, whom I will send from the Father, right? Even the what? Spirit of truth. You're going to know truth. You're going to know what you need to do. I believe the Holy Spirit is unctioning you and telling you what you need. He says you have an unction from the Holy One. That's what that means. He's thumping your heart, telling you what you need to do. You've got to respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your life. Even when you're looking that in the face. Knowing they're not going to be happy with your decision. But you're called to make a decision. Make them happy or him happy. They're looking you in the eye. But one day you're going to look him in the eye. Come on, you're not going to stand before them on the day of judgment. It's a challenge. Watch this. We're just talking about identity. This is our identity, right? We're solidifying. The fact of the matter is, I am living and walking to please one. Come on. I am living and walking to please one. I, I say this a lot, but even when we're in worship, do you understand that you don't have a worship team who's singing to an audience? We are the worship team and we have an audience of one. Right? We're living to please the one. It's the one that we're living for. And we have to understand that. And that's where our identity gets really, really solid. So he says this. He says, I speak these things to you that you would not be offended. Watch what he says. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. The time comes that whosoever kills you will think he even does God's service. Do you understand? Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing God's service. The guy who writes two-thirds of the New Testament later on after a major conversion experience really believed he was doing God's service when he was killing people. He said, they'll throw you out of churches. Yay! (laughs) There's a whole bunch of us fit in that category. (laughs) Okay. Come on. But that's what he said. They'll put you out of the synagogue. They'll throw you out of churches. He says, the time will come for you if they killed you. They thought they were doing God's service. You understand there's a whole lot of people do a whole lot of things wrong and think they're doing it for God. I'm not being critical. Please don't hear it because I just thoroughly do not believe at all in casting stones. But I've sat with people from all kind of different walks of life. And I love talking with people. I'm a, I'm a very people person. But I've sat, with, I've sat with Jehovah Witnesses. I've sat with Mormons who have amazing hearts. And they've just been misled. You know, and, and we, we can't cast stones at them. All we can do is try to give them truth. But again, do you understand that they're in the same place I would have been? If I embrace your truth, then I, I'm, I'm really saying the people that I've loved, respected, honored, and held in such high esteem were wrong. And that's such a challenge in the mindset. 
because we've held these people so high. And all you can do is plant a seed here and plant a seed there and believe that God's going to send somebody that's going to water that seed and eventually he'll give the increase. But there's the challenge of I've been so, so indoctrinated one way, how can I believe another way? Do you understand that even in my Catholic heritage, when I walked away from the Catholic Church, what a challenge that was? I was in Holy Ghost filled meetings for six months. We sat in the row, remember I said there were theater seats and two rows of pews? I would, I would sit, we would sit, Lori and I always sat behind the pew. There was a, a, a row of pews. And, and we would sit in the theater seats behind that one row of pews. And, and I would literally grab that pew at an altar service. And my knuckles would turn white because there was such a conviction on my heart that I needed to get right with God. I needed to go pray. I, I, I needed to get my heart right with him. And I wouldn't do it because I was so afraid that if I did that, that meant mom was wrong. That meant grandma was wrong. We had several priests in our family, you know, down the family lineage, all kind of cousins. My, my, what I was saying was if I, if I go pray this prayer... Then I'm walking away from my heritage and everything. Do you understand what a challenge that was to my heart? Because I had to think that if I believed them, that meant this was all wrong. I went to Catholic school for four years. Catholic church all my life, you know what I mean? And so it was a challenge to me. And please understand this. My mindset was, and it was probably not right, but my mindset was, that if I pray this prayer and give my heart to God and get born again so I can get my name in a book, because that's what we were all taught, right? Okay? Then, then that meant all my family never prayed that prayer, didn't get their name in the book, and they was all dying lost. And I wasn't ready to believe that. Y'all follow what I just said? So grandma, who prayed a rosary every night, went to church six days a week. Grandma went to church six days a week, walked down Oak Street, went over down to Elm Street, and went to the St. Paul's Catholic Church every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then went back again on Sunday for Mass. And she went to Mass five days a week and plus Sundays, and that was her life. And she prayed rosaries every night. And I mean, I could get into all that, but the fact of the matter was, is that that was telling me, oh my gosh, this religious woman is lost. And I'm not even sure that that's true, but I won't even get into all that. But in that, at that moment, I, I was so challenged with all those thoughts. In the process of that, I had to make a choice. Was I going to embrace the truth that was in my face or not? Okay? Watch this. Because he says some things that I think are real powerful. Okay? He says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. They'll even think if they kill you, they're doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Even when I began to get a kingdom mindset, I'm born again. Grabbing a hold of a kingdom mindset, accepting, can I say the words greater truth, and you all understand what I'm saying? When I talk about like that, and I start to understand this and look at the whole book differently. There were people that thought, he's done, lost it. Again, in no way, shape, or form here, this is cast in stones, but the organization that I got born again in and pastored in for 15 years had a doctrinal belief that I had always struggled with was that if a person divorced and then they remarried, right, they were in the sin of adultery. Because 1 Corinthians 7 says, let her, uh, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. And, and there, was a, there was a doctrinal thesis there that was pretty strong. And they supported it in, in different areas. And I look at it and think, man, maybe there's something to this. But there's, I was challenged by it. I had people that were coming to the church that I was pastoring. And we would pray and they're getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
speaking in tongues and God's just flooding them. And I've been around the Holy Spirit long enough to know this is the real deal. And, and I, I remember praying for a girl named Paulette one night. You know Paulette Wiley. Maybe you do, maybe not. That's okay. But I prayed for a girl named Paulette and, and, and we're praying for her and the Holy Ghost hit her. And I'm telling you, man, she up in tongues and she's dancing in the Spirit and God's all over her. And she is having a hallelujah hoedown. She is having a Pentecostal fit. Okay? And God is all over her. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And then realized that she's in a second marriage. And I'm looking at God saying, God, you missed it. She's in a second marriage. <laughs> so obviously God made his first mistake in all eternity. Okay? Because our doctrine said she can't have that. Okay? <laughs> right? So either something happened there. Either God made a mistake or we did. So I had to think and pray on it a while. <laughs> God, was it you or us? Right? And it didn't take long. And you start to realize, man, there's more to this thing. Over and over, I saw that same situation repeated over and over. So watch this. You're called to a place to embrace truth. But if I embrace this truth, then that tells me what they said was wrong. Y'all follow what I just said? And I love them. And I don't want them to be wrong. But Jesus says... They were only wrong because they didn't understand. That's what I get out of verse 3. Watch what he says in verse 3. These things will they do unto you because they, they didn't know any better. Did you get that out of verse 3? These things they'll do unto you. They'll put you out. They'll think you're crazy. They'll label you. Right? Anybody been labeled? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Right? Right? Soft on sin. He'll let anything go on in his church. You know, what? all kind of stuff. And all of us, yeah, come on. And all, yeah, yeah. So there's like a thousand different labels they want to stick on you because now you have not conformed to their mold. Do you know what happened? Please don't hear this wrong. But for years, what I did was I prayed, God, be my potter. But I let an organization be my potter rather than God be my potter. Right? And we thought we were in unity, but we weren't in unity, we were in uniformity. There's a huge difference between unity and uniformity. Right? Unity, unity says we're of one spirit. Uniformity says we all look the same. When you step out of looking like me, all of a sudden now there's something wrong with you. Why? Because we can't be in unity if we don't look exactly the same. And that's not unity at all. That's uniformity. Oh, I'm preaching now. (laughs) Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's a huge word right there. So watch this. Because it's pretty cool. He's saying if they would have known better, they wouldn't have put you out. Do you follow that? That's cool. I feel better now. (laughs) Okay. Watch this. More verses. Watch what he says. Okay. But these things have I told you that when the time will come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Wait a minute. What's he saying there? Well, I told you these things so that when the time comes, you're going to remember what I told you. Do you you know what I get from that? What he's saying is this may not make a lot of sense to you right now, but it will in the future. How many times have you found yourself in a situation and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just downloaded something huge and you say, oh, that fits. 
Like now it fits. Like it didn't make a whole lot of sense then, but boy, now does this make sense all of a sudden. Well, I remember when they told me, and all of a sudden, ching, lights come on, it just fits. He says, I was with you, but watch what he says, okay? He, he says, and these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask where you're going. But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Watch what he just said, okay? Now I go my way to him that sent me. I'm leaving, and none of you even ask me where I'm going, but your heart's all filled with sorrow. Because you don't understand why I'm going. He's going to tell them it's expedient, it's necessary for me to go. But he says immediately he perceives there's sorrow in your heart. Okay? Now watch what he says because it gets real clear here. He says some neat stuff. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter can't come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. It's absolutely necessary for me to go away. Because if I don't go, I can't send a comforter. That to me is an amazing truth. Okay, let's talk real, real straight. Because there's, there's probably something that has to be absolutely clear in the mindset of every one of us. I grew up believing that Jesus was fully God. I got born again and found out that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Then I came to an understanding that everything he did, he did as a man, not as God. I honestly believe that 90% of the church doesn't get what I just said right there. Because... I always figured it for years and years and years. Every, I always figured everything he did, he did because what? He was God. He can. It's, yeah, Jesus can do that. He's God. He can do that. You know what I mean? So the, so the lame man laying at the, at the pool of Bethesda, get up and walk. Well, sure, you're God. You can do that. And then I began to look at things from a kingdom mindset and realized that if, if you want, I'll give you just a, a quick overview the New Testament in one verse. Acts 10 and 38. New Testament in one verse. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's the Gospels in one verse. Acts ten thirty-eight. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. It didn't say for he was God. You all understand how you can prove that he wasn't. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says something incredible. First chapter of James. It says let no man say when he's tempted I'm tempted of God. For God tempteth no man. Neither can he be tempted. Does the scripture say, neither can he be tempted? It's James 1, probably around verse 14, somewhere real close to that. You can look it up if you want to, it's there. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God tempteth no man, neither can God be tempted. Okay? Does the scripture say God can't be tempted? 
But in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, they both start out like this. Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to what? To be tempted. And God can't be tempted. But Jesus was led to be tempted. Hebrews chapter 9, He was tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin. Was He tempted? Can God be tempted? Then I guess He wasn't God. He was tempted as a man. He was a man. Watch this. Because in that end of verse 38, it says, Acts 10, 38, what's it say? How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Well, why would He need to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power if He's God? Right? And then it says, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Not because He was God, but because God was with Him. Watch this. Jesus says, follow me. If he's, fully, if he's doing everything he's doing as God, how in the world can I follow him? I don't even have a model to follow. I'm not God. <laughs> but if he's doing it all as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit in a right relationship with God, then guess what? I have a model. And I can follow him. So when he says, follow me, he's not asking me to do something I can't do. Is that clear for everybody? Because if we don't get that, we're going to be really challenged with everything that we're called to do. Go ahead. Hebrews 1, God called Jesus God. I'm sorry. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thy enemies my footstool. God, God. Okay. So I'm just having trouble with Jesus not being God because he is God, God called him God. I know that God can't be tempted. Right. Because he was fully, Jesus was fully man, so he was tempted, but he was also okay. fully God. You said in Hebrews 1, you have to, you have to help me out because I don't know where you're at, unless you're saying the Lord said to my Lord. That's Sure, but he said unto the Son, right? Unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Okay. Does God call the Son God? Which part? Verse 8. And the Son, Jesus, said, Y'all following what she's saying? Tom, go ahead. Um, I've got the complete Jewish Bible here, and it says it a little bit different. Okay. Uh, it says, No one being tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And God himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he is being dragged off and enticed by the bait of his own desire. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very close translation. Same thing. Right. God can't be tempted. Right. Right. So when I say that, because it says, let every man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of my own. Every man when he's tempted is tempted of his own lust and when he's drawn away and enticed by his own lust. Right. Right. So when we see that, Donna brings up a point I'm just trying to validate. Do you understand what she's saying? She's quoting from, she's actually quoting from the, the psalmist David, and I thought that's where you were at. But he's saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Okay? So, so how do we validate what she said? Come on, talk to me. Go ahead, Lois. That verse was out of the Old Testament speaking to David. Right. right. And so that's before Jesus was incarnated. Thank you. Right. Watch this. In the beginning was the Word. Go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Okay, so everybody's okay, right? Jesus is God, right? But watch it say then in about verse maybe 9 or 10. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what happened? The Word became man. Okay, so he was right. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Are we ever going to debate that Jesus was fully God? Absolutely not. But when the word was incarnate as the son, his favorite term for himself. As a matter of fact, you'll read over and over and over. The one term that he uses more than all the rest put together to describe himself is what? Son of man. Sure, he, he emptied himself out, poured himself out. So watch this. In the process of that, when he's speaking there, Donna, he is speaking prophetically, okay? Right? But he's still God. When he becomes man, he's now a man empowered. Now, watch this. When he ascends into heaven, do you understand that we have a man seated at the right hand of the Father? Watch this. There's one mediator between God and man. You know what the next two words say? The man, Jesus Christ. So we have a man who passed the test. Do you understand why that has to be? Here's why. 1 Corinthians 15 said the first man, Adam, the first Adam, right? The first Adam failed the test. So the second Adam had to come along as a man, pass the test as a man, and it's now as a man seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I feel it coming now. <laughs> but y'all understand where my heart's at in this, right? Which one? First Corinthians 15. And it compares, and it talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. Whew. Why? Because the first Adam's born without born without sin. Exactly, the second Adam. Until we all grow together and come back and just every joint supplying the need to the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Sure. That isn't the perfect God that we're going to be. That's the perfect man we're going to resemble in the imperfect. Okay. Okay. Exactly. We can live in the flesh and yet be without sin. Okay. Let's come back to John 15 for just a minute. I, I know we've got to take a break shortly, but I'm, I'm on a roll. I don't want to stop. <laughs> These things have I told you that when the time will come, you may remember I told you them. These things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away. And I told you these things. Nevertheless, it's expedient I go away. Verse 7, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. As a man... How many places could Jesus be at once? So Jesus as a man was not omnipresent. So he couldn't be with me in Pennsylvania and my brother in Seattle, Washington at the same time. It's expedient that I go away so I can send you a comforter who'll be with every one of you. Later on he's going to tell you that not only is he going to be with you but he'll be in you. Every one of you. Do you understand how he said it's expedient that I go away? Because if I'm one, I can teach this group, but I can't teach the whole world. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be a teacher that will be with every one of you all the time. i got to go. Why? Because the Comforter got to come. This is amazing to me. So watch what he says. He says, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. 
I, I love this. He's called the promise of the Father. And he's sent by the Son. And He is the Holy Spirit. I can tell you something. Remember I was talking to you about my first Pentecostal experience? Scared the bejeebers out of me? <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I promised myself for months. I ain't doing that. <laughs> it's, it's, I got comfortable around it that if you wanted to speak in tongues, that was your deal. And I'd even watch you and think that's cool, but I wasn't going there, right? Because I was just uneasy with that. Pastor Dan was teaching Saturday night. I don't know how many of you stayed. We baptized several. But one of the things that he's convinced of at this point in his ministry is everybody I baptize, I'm going to pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. And, and he was convinced that he's heard from God this is what he needs to do. We had a pretty amazing time that night. God was just showing up. Let me tell you something. If he said it's expedient for me to go away so I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you and be in you, then that tells me that every born-again believer ought to be asking heaven for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because when God said something's expedient, that puts a lot of emphasis on it for me. And I guess what I'm looking at is, we're, we're so divided in our country over churches. Yes. I, I struggle with the idea that a small town like Hanover has 650 churches in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even include home churches. <laughs> And why do we have so many churches? I, I laughed. I was in Battle Creek, and a guy named, I, I believe his name was Al Thomas, was a pastor of First Baptist. And they had a big blowout in their church. And they all got in a big fight. So the deacon that was kind of the head of the fight against the pastor bought the property right across the street. Built a church. You know what they called it? Unity Baptist. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, there's a paradox here. Man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in Battle Creek, we had, we had First Baptist Church, we had Second Baptist Church, and we had Third Baptist Church. And I wondered why. Okay. See, I don't get all this. I really don't. I don't understand all this. Yeah, no wonder they called it Battle Creek. <laughs> the battle wasn't over yet. <laughs> Becky, go ahead. Did you ever watch a video on, I think it was Fiji, uh, the revival that went on there and why it went on? This, this really spoke to me because I'm with you on this. Um, the land, I mean, the water had turned putrid. The coral was dying around the island. All this stuff was happening. I mean, there's like witch doctors and all this, you know, drug, big drug. The land was just not producing or anything. And there was, I forgot who it was, finally called all the pastors together 
and God gave him a revelation and said, the reason why our land is the way it is is because we, the church, have divided ourselves into the four square, the, you know, the different denominations, and we have not unified as one. When they, and it convicted them, and when they came together, uh, regions began, and they came together and started praying. Read the regions started, I mean, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People got saved. The coral in regions started coming back. Wow. Uh, the water changed. The land, I mean, the land started producing, you know, like none other. Is that where they had the five-pound carrots? Yes, I believe so. I heard this. I was thinking that was Argentina, so it was Fiji. Yes, it was. It, it spoke volumes to me that God is calling us. I mean, I went and I mean, people got mad at me because I was I was, I was in California a couple of years ago and met someone. Uh, it, we were all in the oil, you know, oil. He said oil. I met some Mormons. His father was like head, one of the head people of the Mormon Church. They invited me to come, and her her uh, husband was a bishop. He got mad at me because I went into the Mormon church. I was invited in to go in. I tell you what, I the Holy Spirit moved in that church. I mean, I felt the Holy Spirit in that church, and I'm sitting there going, "You guys don't get this." <laughs> I mean, you know. There's still my my my. There's still a part of me of who I, you know of. I just see. They're people that Jesus loves. <laughs> Jesus loves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and um, I don't know. I felt God in that church more than some other churches I've been in. Okay. <laughs> well, and I understand what you're saying. What Becky's saying, just so we're clear, is what she's saying is God loves them. Jesus yeah. died for them. Yeah. They might not understand the truth that we understand, but they there's still people that Jesus loves, and we can't just repel them because they don't believe like we believe. Exactly. How are they ever going to believe if we don't love them and teach them different? Exactly. Go ahead. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had a good time, and we sat around and talked, and they invited me back because I was open. I mean, because, you know, I was just open to love on them. And... Um, so anyway, but that that whole thing really spoke to me about the church is finally united as one. And I mean, even the prime minister stood up and whoever he was and declared that it was a country under God and that the Holy Spirit was the one to lead them. And it was just and it was their the declaration and he signed it in front of all the people. Isn't that amazing? That was amazing. Because the church finally looked like we're supposed to. We'll get to John 17, I hope. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe Monday. All right. But, but watch this because that's huge because what Jesus prayed was that we would be one. And that's the difference between uniformity and unity. He's not calling us to uniformity, but he is calling us to unity because churches all have personalities. You realize you could have a town with 15 Pentecostal or charismatic churches and every one of them would have a uniquely different personality. Why? Because you've got 15 different pastors for one thing. Right? You got, so there's personalities that are going to be extremely different, but God doesn't call us to uniformity. 
He calls us to unity. Huge difference. Isn't that what Pastor Jack was trying to do whenever he was having all the pastors come together? There were some similarities to that, yes. Yeah. Let me take you a couple more verses and we'll break. Watch this, because he says some cool stuff. When he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, I'm in verse 8 of uh, chapter 16. Yeah. Uh, And when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I'm going to my Father and you'll see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. That's a huge phrase right there. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, The prince of this world cometh, but he can't find nothing in me. What an amazing phrase. Lord, that it would be said of us. The prince of this world comes, but there's no handle for him to grip in my life. I haven't given him a foothold. There's no place for him to touch me. He, th- th- there's nothing that he's gripping a hold of in my life. That's a huge phrase to me. Watch this. He says, but the prince of this world is judged. Okay, then then he says something I think is really, really huge. I have yet many things to say unto you. You just ain't ready for it. You catch that? You can't bear it now. You're not ready for it. Let me tell you something. Fifteen years ago, if a lot of the truth that I'm walking in today would have been revealed to me then, I'd have repelled it immediately. Wasn't ready for it. Probably some of the folks that I was talking about that I esteemed and highly honored, they weren't ready for that. There, there wasn't illumination. There wasn't revelation. There wasn't understanding. Remember that I said, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm in my 80s listening to the kids who are now kids preaching messages I never heard going, ah. Oh. Because I believe God's going to continue to illuminate this thing and it's going to get brighter and brighter. Why? Because he said so. Amen. Because he says so, Second Peter, and I won't even get into all that. But that thing's going to continue to grow and expound. I'm telling you, man, I'm pushing my ceiling as high as I can because I want their floor to be as high as I can get it. They're going to run with this thing, and I'm excited about that. But what he's saying right here is there's a whole bunch of things I want to tell you, but you're just not ready for all that yet. Do you understand that the group that he's talking to right now, 11 of 12, no, 10 out of 12, will lay down their lives Literally. I've studied the death of the apostles. I preached a series called Twelve Ordinary Men. It was based off of a book John MacArthur wrote of the same title. But I followed through on the history of these disciples, these apostles, and what their lives looked like after the resurrection, after the book of Acts. Even studied a lot of history on how they died, what they went through. So amazing things. Filleted alive. Filleted alive. Who? Thomas, the doubter. The one that said, except I put my hand in his side and my finger in the nail prints in his hands, I can't even believe. But he lays down his life to the point where while he's still alive, they're peeling the skin off of him. That's how he died. Filleted alive. Sawn in pieces. Run through with swords. It's amazing the way they gave their life. They told Peter, we're going to crucify you like they did Jesus. He said, no, do me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like he died. That's amazing to me that these people laid down their lives, right? They weren't ready for that. He could have told them, listen, most of you are just going to die for me. I got many things to tell you, but you're not ready for that yet. But what he did tell them is, there's so much truth, but he says, I'm not going to give you all the truth now. You're not ready for that much truth now. But he said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he'll lay this truth on you. And you'll get it bit by bit and piece by piece. Keep growing. There'll never be a day when you can say, ta-da, I've arrived. 
We're called to keep growing over and over. One amazing story, but there was an old man, and his name was Klaus. He was a, he, he was a mountain climber in Switzerland, and he had successfully navigated many of the mountains. And a group of college students went up Mount Everest. And as they went up Mount Everest, the snowstorm hit, a blizzard hit like crazy, and they were trapped in a cave. And they knew they were going to die. They didn't have enough supplies to last, and nobody could get them out. And the people of the village got together and said, there's only one man that could successfully navigate that climb, and that's old Klaus. If anybody could do it, he could. But he had retired and hung up his shoes. And they called on him and said, listen, man, these kids are all going to die unless you can get up there. And he said, I'll lead the party. And on his way up the mountain, they got to the cave where the kids were. But it had thoroughly exhausted him. He was old. He couldn't fight the bitter cold in the elements anymore. And even though he got to the cave and brought them the supplies that they needed to get back down, he died in the cave. They brought him down and they buried him right below that mountain, set up a grave. And you know what it says on his tombstone? Here lies Klaus Wunkenheimer or whatever his name was. He died climbing. May it... May it be said of us, may it be said of us, come on, that we never quit climbing, that there was never a day where we felt like we've we've made it, now it's time to hang up our shoes. But may it be said of us, we died climbing. God, that, that we might find ourselves faithful all the way to the end, that we wouldn't give up, that we wouldn't quit, that we'd never find there's a day where, well, now I've learned it all, because I've got to tell you something, only ever wrote one article for a magazine, you know what it was called? The Inexhaustible Word of God. The inexhaustible word of God. If I studied this thing eight hours a day, every day of my life, and I lived to be a hundred, I still don't have it all. It's inexhaustible. May we die climbing. Y'all follow what I just said? That's, that's so huge. It speaks volumes to me. I got many things to tell you, but you're not ready for all of it now. But the Holy Spirit's coming, and He's going to reveal truth to you on a daily basis. It's up to you with what you do with it. May we die climbing. Take a break. Come on back at 11 o'clock, okay? Everybody doing all right? Yes. Cool. Listen, a couple of neat things. Yeah. Kathy said something to me. Watch this. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, right? It says he will reprove the world of sin. Does it say that? No. What about the believer? Does the Holy Spirit reprove the believer of sin or just the world of sin? Or is the believer part of that world? Oh, Holy smoke. I thought you'd all jump on that. Go ahead, Bruce. Oh, yeah. No, our sins have already been taken care of. It's dealt with once and for all. Okay. So do you get convicted? No. Yes. And if you get convicted, is it the Holy Spirit that's convicting you? Yes. No. 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 I love it. 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 I love Holy Spirit convicts us not of the sin we've committed, but of who we actually are. And in that, the conviction comes. It's like, why would you do something like that? That's not who you are. It convicts us of who we are in Christ. And that that so overwhelms anything that we did. The conviction is on the uh, confirming our identity in Christ. 
That's amazing. Did you hear what he said? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to preach that. Is that okay? If you hear me preach that, you'll go, oh, wow, he's good. So the conviction comes from my identity. Because when I start to do something that's not like God, all of a sudden, I have a conviction, but it's not my sin that's convicted me. It's my identity that's being convicted because I'm saying, wow, that's not who I am. That's not even me. There's no part of me that wants to have anything to do with that. That's amazing. That's good. Okay, Yes. Cool. I love that. Thank you, man. Holy story. We have to get it on Saturday night. That's really solid. I appreciate that. Thank you, Bruce. 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 I think the identity factor there is amazing. What guy knows? Doesn't the Holy Spirit also give us a caution, like, um, kind of give us warning to prevent a situation, prevent us from diving into something Absolutely. Still coming back to your identity. Watch this. There's a thought that comes in my mind, right? Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse four. Um, the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're mighty through God. Pulling down strongholds, casting down imagination, every high thing that bond itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. Where's that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit working in our life. There's a function. There's a flow of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the process of that flow of the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. I've been tempted or drawn away. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God. Why? Because when I'm tempted, I'm drawn away and enticed of my own lust, right? Drawn away of my own lust and enticed, right? And I've got to stop that. So immediately the Holy Spirit is now thumping my heart saying, that's not who you are. You don't want to go there. still comes back to identity. Remember that we're basing everything that we're trying to do in school on identity. And it comes right back to what he's saying. That's not who you are. That's not really what you want to do. Because obviously, remember that I preached this a couple of times you preach this Sunday morning. The difference between a servant and a friend, a servant is performance-based, where a friend is relationship-based. So in my relationship with God, I don't want to do this, not because I would be disobeying Him, but because I would be disappointing Him. So my identity says, I don't want to disappoint Him because I'm a son. Uh-huh. And I don't want to hinder this yes. by going after this. Amen. That's really good. Yes. So, so, so it's solid. Go ahead. I know we talked about this one other time, and I went home and uh, thought a lot about it. We were talking about the uh, temptation and a test, and then I thought about a trial. And the temptation is an opportunity to uh, go for something less than God. That's what Satan presents to us, an opportunity to accept something less than God, something less than our identity. Okay? A test. God gives us the chance to move deeper into God. When he presents us with a test, it's an opportunity to step further into our identity. And then a trial is the result of that test is when Satan has an opportunity to come against the word that God has presented us with that would move us into our identity. So it's on the one hand it's Satan trying to pull us away from God and cause us to accept something less. On the other hand, God's pulling us in deeper into God. And then when we do, because we live in this world, the trial usually results from going deeper with God. Wow. I'm chewing that. You all chewing that? Yeah. Yeah. We're working that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. I always have to go back and reread that in the memory banks of my mind, but I'm guessing what you're saying. Because with, uh, in the temptation of, in the wilderness, God allowed Satan every opportunity to present Jesus with a chance to accept something less. And because even, even if Jesus would have accepted the kingdoms of this world, what would us as Christians look like? Sure, be completely different. He would be king, but we wouldn't have received all the things we talked about as the cross, mm. the power of the oh, cross. Yeah. We couldn't even come into sonship. Right. And that would have taken away the power of the gospel. Absolutely. So Christ died for the power of the cross and the power of the gospel so that they might be effective. He didn't take any of those shortcuts. He didn't give in any of Satan's temptations mm-hmm. to settle for something less than God's plan. So by not taking the shortcut, not being tempted, not accepting something less than God, he stepped into the fullness of God. Okay. okay. It's kind of like Which is what we're called to do. The same thing. Yeah. Don't take the shortcut. Don't try to find the easiest way out. Yeah. But we endure. Right. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Amen. Yes. Y'all got it? Mick, go ahead. What he was saying just clicked in my brain and also would tie right in with what It's always spinning back there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it also ties in with where Paul said that the law was just our tutor, our schoolmaster, teach us the things that we aren't or shouldn't be. And then he says, for the things that I would do that I don't do, that I, I wish I could do or should do, uh, they fight against me all the day long. And in the end, he said, who shall deliver me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am? I thank my God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that ties right into the same thing, that he was realizing who he, what it was he wasn't living up to. You know, it wasn't convicting him of sin. It was showing him what he should be. Does that make sense? A little bit. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes what clicks for you doesn't always click for me, but that's okay. But in that, watch this because it really comes back. Hold on. I thought you were in your uh, heart. Okay, sorry. I, I moved it when I didn't move it. Okay, but anyway, what we'll find is, and I think it's amazing as we study this, we're coming back to everything that we're trying to learn, study, grab a hold of really comes back to identity-based. We have to understand because if I don't understand my identity, I can never become what God wanted me to be. Okay? First, I have to understand what's attainable. Once I understand it's attainable, then I have the right and privilege to go after it. Okay? If somebody, if somebody told me in the backyard they buried a million dollars, right? And I know that it's on this property. It's in the, what they call the backyard. I might not know exactly what they called the backyard, but if I got a shovel, we're going digging. Why? Because it's available. I know that it's out there. I've got to go after it. But I would never dig a hole in the backyard if I didn't know there was a million dollars back here, if I didn't have a reason or a purpose. So now that my identity is being founded, I understand what's attainable. I'm ready to go digging. Does that make sense? So I see that. And what's happened is Satan's ploy is, it's exactly what Bruce was saying, is if we could get confused or confounded on what our true identity was, then we'd settle for something less because we didn't know this was available. But once I know it's available, I have the right and the privilege to go after it. So God teaches what that looks like that we would go after what he's called us to go after. And that's what we're going after right now. So the Holy Spirit comes to teach us. He says, guide us into what? All truth, right? I love the phrase all truth. How many of us in the room for a long time walked in about half truth? 
You know, there's a difference between all truth and half truth, trust me. But he says he'll guide us into all truth. Now watch this because it gets really cool. There's some really neat things, okay? That's where we're at. It's verse 13. He said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now, verse 12. But then 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he's not going to speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that shall he speak. And he'll show you things to come. Where do you think he's hearing what he hears? Come on. He said, he'll testify of me. Jesus said, when he comes, he'll testify of me. He's going to speak of me. Whatever he hears, that's what he's going to tell you. What? All truth. So when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, he's speaking truth. How many of you have struggled right here? Is that me, God, or the devil? Come on. A whole lot of the body of Christ gets hung up right here. I get one of the biggest frustrations for me as a young pastor, right? John chapter 10. My sheep know my voice. <laughs> Another voice they will not follow. I used to get so mad when I'd read that verse. Like, I'm trying not to be offended, Lord, but this offends me, <laughs> right? Because, because I would struggle. Is this me? Is this God? Is this the devil? Is this my desire? Is it Satan trying to trick me? Is it God speaking to me? And I would get so frustrated. A lot of people still live in that frustration. I'd get really frustrated. I'd have these little old ladies coming to church and they'd be telling me, well, the Lord told me this. Well, the Lord told me that. Well, the Lord told me this. Well, the Lord told me that. And I'm thinking, yeah, shut up. Because <laughs> he ain't telling me anything. You know, I'd be frustrated. Like, it was frustrating to me. Cause, because I felt like I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be hearing God. And I didn't feel like I was hearing Him near like they were hearing Him. Like once in a while, I'd get it, you know, and who felt really good about it. But they were getting it the whole time. I felt like I had to change my radio station in my head. Like I wasn't tuned into that frequency. Then people come along and start telling me they'll see angels and this and that. I'm like, you are nuts. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't seeing angels, so they must not. You know, and I'd be frustrated with that. And come to find out there's a whole other ball game out there. I do have the ability to hear him. I do get to hear God on it. Remember what I said this morning? I woke up and the first thing the Lord said to me was, today's a day of smiles. Yeah. It's amazing to me to wake up and just hear God speak to your heart. Because for years I woke up and didn't hear God speak to my heart. You know? It's an amazing thing to get up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Because some of y'all getting up saying, good Lord, morning. Okay. <laughs> it's a big difference. Okay. Good morning, Lord. You're ready to start your day. It's an amazing day. And you're walking with Him. We sang this song for years in the old Pentecostal church. We sang, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. I used to sing that song, don't walk with me, don't talk with me. I ain't never heard him say I'm his. And, and I was the pastor. <laughs> it's like frustrating to me. Because I felt like I went a long time without hearing God. Are a bunch of you in that category or am I alone? For a long time in my life, I felt like, you know, there were glimpses of God. And, there was tr- and I understood truth. And sometimes, even in the middle of service, I felt like God was directing the service in a different direction. And I was comfortable with that. But I wasn't in communion with him. 
I didn't understand that. I felt more like, can I say, I didn't understand it then. But I understand now I felt more like a religious robot. Doing the right things, going through. Can I say we were very mechanical? Can I, can I go be as arrogant to say, I honestly believe for many years under my pastoral ministry, we could have had church without God. Because we knew what songs to sing. We knew the words. You could say the right words, get the congregation to shout. And if you stomp and snort a little bit, they'll really shout. <laughs> Just because you were loud didn't mean you were anointed. But we thought it did. And the louder you got, obviously, the more anointed you were. That was the arena I was in. I don't know if everybody else was in that arena. That was the arena I was in. <laughs> yeah, shh, don't tell. Okay, <laughs> okay. But watch this. Come on, because you have to understand something. God wants to speak to us, every one of us. But it's not just in unique and, and, and monumental moments. It's all day long. There's a fellowship. Paul calls it the, the mystery of the fellowship, or the fellowship of the mystery. Refers to it that way. Do you understand that? That there's a fellowship with God that's very, very sweet. So when you have a guy that's standing up there telling you how... Let me ask you a question. I'm just going to be, let's just talk. We're just going to talk a little bit right now. Who's ever had Jesus show up in your bedroom? Or several of you. That's amazing to me. You know why? I've never had Jesus show up in my bedroom. But when people used to come and tell me, yeah, the Lord came in, sat on the bed beside me, and we had a conversation. I'm like, well, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Because I didn't know that was possible. You know? I'm thinking, okay, what were you smoking? And I need to get a pound. You know what? I don't know. Whatever it was. Because it didn't make sense to me. I, I thought that was crazy. It's not crazy. How many of you have seen an angel? Lots of you have seen angels. Do you hear what John just said? Why does one see it and another one doesn't? I've never seen an angel. I married one. Tell Lori I said that, would you? Okay, okay. Give me points. Okay, okay. okay. I, I can get all the points I can. Okay. Yeah, I'm a, I, I just have to storm up. I'll lose them eventually, trust me. Okay. But, but watch this. I've never seen an angel visibly. I've preached where people have come. And I, the first time that ever happened to me, I was preaching in a youth camp, Church of God of Prophecy Youth Camp. And about 22 kids all testified there were three angels standing on the platform with me. Described them, and they all had the same description. So you know what I mean. After a while, you start to think, you know, if one comes up and says, okay, maybe they just ate pizza late or something. You know? <laughs> but, but when you have like 22 of them all telling you the same story, and they have the exact like, same, it was amazing to me. Like, oh my gosh, they were really there. <laughs> Because I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that. I still to this day have never seen an angel. But I have people that come here all the time and say, your church is full of me. I see more angels at your church than I do anywhere else. And, and that's neat to me. But I've never seen one. I won't tell you, it's kind of weird. We pick up feathers down here all the time. And I don't even tell people that anymore because I've had people come along and they thought we were whacked and whatever. But Kim in the office has a, has a thing with feathers all over it that we've just picked up out of the sanctuary. You know, Lori got one the other day and it was kind of a really neat thing for her. I'll let her share that later. But 
a lot of these things I don't understand. Um, I know this. I know there's a lot of times in my life where an anointing will come on me that my hands will be red hot. I mean, all but I felt like if I lay them on somebody, it will burn them. You know what I mean? And that happens to me very regularly. And I don't always understand that other than it's just the anointing of God. I know God's up to something. Anomaly, I don't understand all that. You know? Um, who's ever been covered in gold dust? Have you ever been? I've had that happen where my hands, I looked down at my hands and they were gold. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Or why? Why? Because the why of that. And, and you know what? I, can I go here? I even struggle with this. I don't see it in the scripture. So then I wonder, if I don't see that in the scripture, why is God doing that? But you know what? I don't have to understand it. I, one of the guys asked me, because his hands turned, his, he got covered in gold dust in his hands. And I said, I think it's because God thinks you're a treasure. It's just God's way of thinking you're a treasure. And you don't need to run around and show everybody, because then all of a sudden, you know what happens? All of a sudden, pride and all kind of silly stuff can start happening. So I just figure, you know what? Be blessed and just know he loves you. You're his treasure. Mary. I mean, really, isn't it under like the signs and wonders? The signs and wonders, you know, that because it doesn't fall down in the world, but but like for people to believe, because um, even today, like people will watch other people being delivered or set free or being healed, sure. laid throughout wherever, and yeah. still have an element of disbelief, and that's a freak show, sideshow, whatever. Sure, circus performers. Mm-hmm. But when that stuff shows up. There is no denying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Acts 5 and 12, actually, is where you're at. And many signs and wonders were wrought by the hands of the apostles, and great fear came upon them all. Okay? Yeah. It doesn't tell us what the signs and wonders were, and I understand all that. And, and even the idea, I mean, let's call it what you want to, but they saw angels all the time in the New Testament. You know what I mean? Not just in the Gospels, but even through the book of Acts. You know what I mean? Angels showed up and did amazing things. A lot of people see it. I, I'm not disputing or debating anything. I, I, what, I, what I guess I'm sharing with you is, God does a lot of things that he doesn't have to rush down and explain himself to me. It's not like God's obligated to come down and tell me why he does everything he does. Here's what happened. When I didn't see angels and other people were seeing angels, I'm thinking, I don't know about all this angel stuff. You know what? And the Lord told me, do you need to see an angel? I said, no, Lord, I still believe even if I don't see an angel, then don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And what I found was, remember that I said we've majored in stuff that should have been minors, right? So all of a sudden now we're putting labels and whatever and we're trying to... Labels are for jars. They're never for people in the first place, okay? So we shouldn't be labeling everybody and whatever. But what I found in the midst of all that, and I think is very, very interesting, is this. It never changed my Tuesday. If I talk to you on Sunday and you came and told me that Jesus sat on your bed and this is what he told you, I didn't get into my Tuesday and say, Jesus never come to my bed, and he must love you more than he loved me. I can't even go there. You know what I'm I'm so happy just walking with Jesus right now. I'm so happy and excited about walking with Jesus. John said something I really feel like I need to elaborate on. He said, why do some see and others don't? Okay? And we could say, well, you know, they position themselves and all that. Here's what I want to go with that is, that doesn't even matter. 
That doesn't become relevant. Watch this. Jesus tells a parable that is so powerful and reaches so many realms of life. But he said a a farmer went out. I'm going to paraphrase it in modern day language. But a farmer went out at noontime one day and he hired a guy and said, will you work for me today for this much wage? And the guy said, yep, I'll work for you today for that much wage. Went out at two o'clock in the afternoon, hired another guy. Said, will you work for me today for this much wage? Said, absolutely. Worked the rest of the day. Went out at three o'clock, went out at five o'clock and he hired all these guys to work. And when it came the end of the day at seven o'clock at night, when it was time to pay him, paid him all the same wage. And the guy at noon said, wait a minute, I worked from noon till here for this much. And this guy only worked from six to seven and worked one hour. And you're paying him the same wage you paid me. Jesus said, wait a minute, didn't you agree that from noon to six, you'd work for me and I'd pay it? So what's the difference if I pay this guy that wage? What is that to you? You and I agreed for this. Watch this. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. Whether I see an angel or not doesn't affect that. Whether I see, whether you come and sit on my bed or not doesn't affect that. Whether I get all kind of words of prophetic words and words of knowledge or not, it doesn't change the fact that I'm in love with you and we're going to live and walk together forever. Do you, do you understand that? Now, now watch this. Watch this because Paul says something that I think is really, really important. Covet earnestly the best gifts. See, if he's got something available, I'm still going to go after it. I'm not going to just say, well, you know what? It's just not for me. I don't think I want. I want everything he's got. I don't know where you're at, but I want everything he's got. Because I think this, if he got it, it's good. (laughs) So so I'm going to go after that, okay? But one of the concerns that I have in the body of Christ today is that we don't go out and try to manufacture something that's not God. Okay? I don't know if you've been in church where they tried to manufacture the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you something. If you've got to make it happen, you've got to keep it happening. If you let Him make it happen, it's up to Him. There's a word there that's really, really strong. So there's a caution about trying to manufacture something. Be careful that we keep God. Do you understand it's got to come from heaven? If it comes from heaven, it'll sustain. I'm really strong on that. Okay? Now, let me take us somewhere because he says something. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. I love the phrase all truth. Remember that I said a little while ago, there's truth and then there's greater truth? That's a strong phrase to me because I really believe that that he's showing us today greater truth. I, I, I don't... I don't want to take away from where our forefathers were, and I think amazing things happen. I'll even say this. I'm not... I believe the morality in our country is spiraling downward. But I believe the truth in the body of Christ is spiraling upward. And somewhere, this truth has to affect this morality. But you know what the Lord told me about three years ago now? It's probably been three and a half years ago. He said the dividing line is becoming more and more defined. What I'm finding is, remember that we talked about this a little while ago? The middle ground is spreading farther and farther apart. I honestly believe that those who are for God are going to become stronger and stronger. And those who are anti-God are going to become stronger or stronger. And that line is going to become more and more defined. That You won't have to wonder where somebody's at long. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. 
Now watch what he says, because the next thing he says is really, really important. But whatsoever he hears, that will he speak. He's hearing straight from heaven. He'll show you things to come. Everybody see that? Who will? Holy Spirit will. Do you understand he's speaking about prophetic things? He'll show you things to come? Okay? God does nothing, but first he speaks it to his prophets. We talked about it, right? But we talked about that yesterday, but watch this. He'll glorify me, and he'll receive of mine, and he'll show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I that, he'll sh- that he shall take of mine and show it to you. Do you understand what he just said? He said he's going to show you stuff. He said he's going to show you stuff. The Father's going to, the Father's going to give it to him, and he's going to give it to you. You're going to understand things. I believe that right now we're probably, I say this all the time, we're living in the most exciting time ever in the history of the church. I believe we're living in the most exciting time ever on planet earth. This is an amazing time to be alive. And I honestly, can I go here? Ten years ago, I knew what the end was going to look like. Today, I'm more confused than ever. <laughs> like I had, a, if you'd have come to me ten years ago, I had all the answers. Okay? Now I don't even know the questions yet. Okay, it's it's amazing how God transforms your head because I'm honestly, man, I had this thing all figured out. I really did. Okay, you know, boy, was I wrong. Okay, but but in the process, and to understand what I'm saying, because I think it's huge, is this. I honestly believe that this is the most exciting time ever. And the Holy Spirit's given us glimpses and visions of what's to come. There's a lot of amazing things happening in the body of Christ right now. I've shared this a couple of times, but I honestly believe God has shown me and spoke to me very, very clearly that there is a move of God. It's not a church thing. It's a regional thing. And it's hitting from Harrisburg right down through to Cumberland, Maryland is the way I saw it. Somebody else told me, was it you, Lois, said Wilmington? Yeah, I stopped at Cumberland. That's all the farther my mind went, okay? But I saw this thing. God really showed it to me. And it came right down through the, it was like a corridor that the Holy Spirit was coming. There's a move of God that's happening. I honestly believe 1,000% in my heart that that was God who showed me that. So I'm convinced it has to happen. I just, I'm, I'm just so convinced it has to happen and God's doing that. It's not a church thing. As a matter of fact, it's a regional thing. But you know what? The whole tide of the country was turned in this region a couple hundred years ago. And that was in the natural. So I believe if God turned the tide of the country in the natural 200 years ago, then God can turn the tide of the country spiritually right here. This is where it had its roots from. This is where it started from. And I'm just convinced that God's up to something. And there's a reason we're called the Keystone State. God's up to something and it's amazing and he's allowed us the privilege of being a part of that that we would partner with heaven in this hour in this region it's amazing we're strategically located God's up to something Mary go ahead it just brought my mind like we're so close to the cross okay like what here we're teaching about the kingdom, which is the keys to the cross. Sure. You know, yeah. It's yeah. just incredible, like this whole area is being... Called cross keys. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, you, the movement is coming through this area right now. It's going to be a total wipeout. I mean, people better get their surfboards ready. Yeah, there is, man. I really believe there's a tsunami wave of God's glory that's coming. It's, it's amazing. And it's been prophesied over and over. It, 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 but, but as I look at this, and here's where I'm at is, 
All I know is this. I'm called to press in. And I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep pressing in. Yeah, stretch that rubber band. There you go. And he'll make me, he'll bring the comforter. Because I believe, I believe God's calling us to be uncomfortable. We've been comfortable too long. Yeah, watch what he says. A little while and you shall not see me. And again a little while, then you'll see me because I go to the Father. Anybody understand what he was saying there? A little while, then I'm going to die and you won't see me. I'm going to ascend to the Father, then I'm coming back and you're going to see me again. Okay? It's not going to be long. You've got to understand something. He said this Thursday night. Friday morning, he's going to be crucified. By Within 24 hours, roughly, he's going to be in a tomb. Entombed. In a borrowed grave. You won't see me. Then, ta-da, you'll see me again. And in the meantime, I'm going to the Father. Remember, Mary Magdalena saw him. And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said, If you've taken him somewhere, tell me where you took him. And he turned and looked at her and said, Mary. And she falls at his feet, Rabboni. And what did he say? Touch me not. Really, in the Greek, that literally says, cease from touching me. She grabbed a hold of his feet. And in the Greek, it literally says, cease from touching me. Why? Because I have not yet ascended to my Father. But you tell my disciples that I'm going to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. That's an amazing statement because you've got to understand something. He had called him. His father. He called him his God. But now he was calling him your God and your father. That's amazing to me. So watch this. Because what I see in the midst of that is, and I love this, what he's saying in this point is, I'm on my way to the Father. I'm going to pour out the blood on the mercy seat. And you're going to have entrance that you didn't have before. And you're going to have privilege that you didn't have before. And you have opportunity that you didn't have before. But now you're going to have that. I'm going to my Father. A little while... And you won't see me. But then a little while after that, you'll see me again. Because I'm going to my Father. Okay? To the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you won't see me. And again a little while and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he said. And Jesus knew they were desirous to ask him. So he said, do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and you won't see me in a little while you will see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you'll be sorrowful. But then your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. I'm going to come back because we're talking everything about identity. Do you understand that this group of guys who have been hanging with Jesus for the last three years are absolutely, totally confused right now? Like, what in the world is he talking about? Watch this. Do you understand that just a, just a couple hours ago, if even that, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it? Sit here, take this, eat this. This is my body. <laughs> and they're like, huh? You ever put their shoes on? Because I can't live without putting their shoes on, trying to understand in the realm of what he's speaking. What, where was their heads? Take and eat this. This is my body. Takes the cup and blesses it, gives it to him. Says, this is the New Testament in my blood. Drink it. What? Drink blood? 
We're not vampires. Do you understand how confused they must be right about now? A little while, I'm going to be with you. Then you won't see me no more. Then you're going to see me again and I'll be with you and I'm going to my father. Do you understand how confused they are? Do you know what's really, really cool? In just a couple of days, all the lights are going to start coming on. And everything's going to start clicking and fitting. Do you know how amazing it is when you're reading the scripture and all of a sudden the lights come on? Like, like you, you read this 97 times, but on the 98th time, the lights all clicked on and you go, your heart leaps inside of you and it's like, bing, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's like the most amazing feeling on planet earth. I just love that. It's like incredible. Well, you, you understand at this point in their life, they're totally confused. I love the fact that they're totally confused because how many of you have read scripture and you walked away more confused after an hour of study. <laughs> like, I'm just going to put this down. Or somebody taught something and it didn't register with you. And, and you would go over it in your head and you're, what, what was he trying? Because I, mean, I don't know, but I got this shelf in my mind called Things I Don't Understand. And the shelf gets bigger all the time because it keeps piling up and I got to get a bigger shelf. There's a lot of, I can tell you, honest, I can stand here as your teacher, but I can tell you, there's a whole bunch of stuff I just don't understand. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. But then when the light comes on, it's like, oh my gosh, that's like amazing. You've got to understand that right now they're on their way to the Mount of Olives. Remember that we talked about this yesterday. They are, they are walking together while he's teaching them. They've come through the Kedron Valley. They're ascending up the slope. They're on their way to the garden. They're tired. They've had a long day. Jesus is going to call them to a prayer meeting, and they're all going to fall asleep. The most crucial prayer, prayer meeting ever on planet Earth, and they fell asleep. Tells you something about the church. <laughs> okay? In this moment, it's because it's, it's a dark hour, man. All of hell is gathering together to try to snuff out the light of the world. And the church fell asleep. They're tired. They're confused. Everything in their head is spinning. I can identify with some of that, can you? And they don't understand. And he perceives in his own heart, he says, y'all don't understand. He says, why are you even asking this? He says, I, I, I know this. But he says, listen, we're so close to this hour that in just a little bit you're going to weep and lament, but the world's going to rejoice. Why? Because Jesus brought conviction to people everywhere that he went. And in that conviction, they didn't like what they were feeling. They didn't like, so let's just kill them and get rid of that voice. Let's just get rid of them. Do you remember how Todd was teaching? He talked about being at the family reunion. And how they, they just, they wouldn't rest away. Because his family was repulsed by him. Because he had done so many wrong things, but then he got so radically saved. That all of a sudden, that which was darkness in a dark place, is now all of a sudden become light. And the light's repulsed by that. I'm sorry, the darkness is repulsed by that light. It's like, oh my gosh, turn the light down. (laughs) Yeah. If you've ever been in a really, really dark place, and then you walk into a light place, you know how it hurts your eyes? Like, oh my gosh. The first thing you do is like this. You've been sound asleep. Watch this, because this happens to me all the time. 
I'll go. Lori's, Lori's one to stay up late. She'll stay up late at night. So if I'm really tired, I'm just going to go crash. I have the ability to lay down on the pillow. If you can count to 16, I'm already asleep for at least 12 seconds. <laughs> I can do that. It's just like boom, and I just fall asleep. So Lori's up, and she'll do like the whole Facebook thing or whatever, because she does the whole Facebook thing. Some of y'all are Facebookers. And she'll be on the Facebook, and she'll be whatever, and I'm, I'm already asleep. And she'll come in, but she still, after 31 years, doesn't understand. I'm sound asleep now, <laughs> okay? And, and sometimes if she needs something, she'll come in and she's not even thinking. She'll turn the light on. Well, it's been perfectly dark in there. And all of a sudden, when the light comes on, it's like, what happens? Oh, my gosh. It seems so bright. Do you understand that when you've lived in darkness for so long, surrounded by darkness, when somebody comes in with that much light, there's a repelling that goes on. What he was saying here is this, and, and, I, and I think that's really, really strong, is that we're called to be that kind of light to the place where nobody has to wonder how bright that is. And there's a place there. What happens is people then are pushed away. So what Jesus did was when he came in, he was such a light that those who had been in religious darkness. Can I say that? Y'all understand when I use that phrase, religious darkness? When the real light came, they wanted to just extinguish that light. Let's get rid of it. Matter of fact, if you study this, you probably won't find this in a lot, but if you study this, and I studied this out, do you understand that we have, uh, there's so many more Greek words than there are English words. And if you study the languages, English language, for 350 English words, there's like 970 Greek words that compared to the 350 English words. I hope that makes sense to some of you. Some of you know what I'm saying. In the process, when we read in John chapter 1, the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. When we think of the word comprehend, we think of understand. The light shined in darkness, but the darkness couldn't understand that light. In the Greek, that probably translates better. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness could not extinguish that light. That's a huge word right there. Study it out in the Greek one time. But you've got to go through. There's several different Greek words there that could all fit in the same thing. But the word extinguish fits there. The light shined in darkness. See, the darkness thought it was going to extinguish the light. As a matter of fact, that's what he's saying. The world is going to, the world's going to rejoice. You'll lament and wail, but the world's going to rejoice. Why? Because they thought they were extinguishing the light. But they didn't extinguish light. All hell was coming together to try to, what, extinguish that light. They didn't extinguish the light. They propelled the light. But they had no idea. As a matter of fact, the scripture is real clear. If Satan knew what he was doing, he'd have never done it. But the world was rejoicing at that moment because they thought they got rid of the light. But he says, but you'll, you'll weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. But he says, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Yeah, go ahead, on. I'm just wondering, what do you think Jesus wanted them to pray about? In the garden? Yeah, he already knew what was going to happen. What did he say? What was his words to them? When they went to the garden, we'll probably get to that shortly, but what did, what did Jesus tell them? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me teach you something. I think this is amazing. James says this. I'm sorry, it's not James. It's Paul, 1 Thessalonians, probably chapter 5. Probably verse 23. And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Son of Man. Did he say that? Is that that 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23? I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? 
So why does he say it? Because you know what we talk about? You'll hear people talking about, we're made up of three parts, body, body, soul, and spirit. We're not. We're spirit, soul, and body. Matter of fact, he says it that way. We kind of learn body, soul, and spirit, but we're actually, and the scripture says it that way for a reason, spirit, soul, and body. Why? Because I am a spirit. Okay? I possess a soul when I'm housed in a body. I can tell you why I'm a spirit. Because John chapter 4 says God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm made in the image and likeness of God. God is a spirit. Guess what? I'm a spirit. I am a spirit. I possess a soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions housed in a body. Everybody okay with that? So he says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Son of Man. That's why I honestly believe that you can live forever in divine health and never be sick a day in your life. But that's a whole other story altogether. I'll preach that another day. Well, let me show you this because this is strong. The battle that we face is this. The spirit and the soul battle for dominance over the body. The spirit and the soul battle for dominance over the body. Who's going to control the body, the spirit or the soul? What's your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions? We use the word the flesh, okay? Jesus says the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a battle that rages right here over who's going to have dominance over the body. My spirit is the part of me that connects to God, but my soul is my own will, my own mind, my own emotions. I have to bring my soul in alignment with my spirit so that it has dominance over the body. That's the challenge that we face in the body of Christ. So what happens is, when he says, watch and pray that you enter not into what? Temptation. Why? Because your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. What happens is, that all of a sudden now, I want to do my own thing rather than God's thing. What was he wanting them to pray for? He wasn't praying, he didn't want them to pray for, for him. He wanted them to pray for themselves. Don't be dominated by the God of this world. You know what's amazing? We talk about Peter and he denied Jesus. Guess what the scripture says? They all forsook him and fled. That means John did too. Now we're going to find John at the cross. But at one point John, who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way. John, the beloved disciple, ran too. Because all means they all forsook him and fled. Right? Jesus says, watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Go ahead, Reach. And one of the Gospels, after they uh, took Jesus, one fellow followed him, presumably Mark. Not, not one of the apostles, but one of the... Um, the guy that follows him, they took a sheet off. Right. And that, he ran away naked and, and afraid. Right. When conviction gets really, really strong, people will just run out of the room. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <No. laughs> Dick knows I'm just messing with him. He's going to pick up Augie. He's going to pick up Augie, David. He told me that. But watch this. Here's what happened. Okay. There was, <laughs> there was a place, right? And they all forsook him and fled. This is huge because what he's saying is the world's going to the world's going to rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but then your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Why? Because when they see him again, that's when all the dots start connecting, all the lights start coming on. I love the two on the road to Emmaus, 
You read that in Luke 24, how they're on the road to a mass. What are you, a stranger in town? You don't even know what happened. Their countenance is low. Everything's sad, sorrowful. And Jesus rebukes them and begins to speak to them and opened up the scriptures, all the things concerning himself from Moses on through. And all of a sudden, all the dots started connecting. He breaks bread with them and they go, oh my gosh. It became reality. And he vanished out of their sight and they returned with great joy that's amazing to me. <laughs> see, see, I love that. I, the, the, one of the greatest thrills in my life is when all the dots start getting connected. Yeah. It's like the, everything inside of me comes alive. Watch this. This is amazing. A woman, when she's in travail, has sorrow because her hours come, but as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. You understand what he's talking about? He's talking about a pregnant woman. She's going through labor. What do you got? Ah! <laughs> I'm so glad you women have babies and not us men. Because we're sissies. <laughs> we don't do well with pain. Lori was 18 years old when we got married. I was 20. A year later, she got pregnant and ended up having Nicole. Nicole, if, if, and you guys know Lori now, but when we got married, she was even much tinier than she was now. Um, Lori was like 97 pounds soaking wet with a rock in each pocket. Years till she broke 100. But when she got pregnant, Nicole was 8 pounds 6 ounces. So in that little tiny woman, there's an 8 pound baby coming, an 8 and a half pound baby coming out there. You know what I mean? Maybe it was 8, eight, eight or 8, 10. I don't know. But anyway, she, it was, Nicole was well over 8 pounds. So was Josh. Uh, but she's pregnant. We've gone into the hospital and I'm with her and we had the labor room here and then the delivery room was down the hall. And she's having the contractions and squeezing my hand and all the things that go with that, right? And, and, and we did the whole Lamaze thing and it's brief. And I never did fully understand all that. I just kept saying, breathe, 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 you know. And we were in the hospital on the 18th for about 12 hours and they sent her home. Okay, on the 19th of December, that's Nicole's birthday, uh, we went in like 6 o'clock in the morning. It is now like by 6 o'clock in the evening. We've been there about 12 hours because we were there somewhere a little after 6 in the morning. It's about 6 o'clock at night. And she has been going through all the contractions and they got the little machine that measures the contractions. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and she's having them and she's squeezing my hand and she's going, oh, 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 you know, and she's going through all the stuff. What she's supposed to be doing? And I've been trying to comfort her. I said, honey, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be bad. And they're popping babies down the hall. And you hear people down there going, ah! and they're screaming. And I'm going to say, don't pay any attention to them, honey. That's not even like you. You're not even going to have to worry about that. You know, because Jesus got you covered, you know. And, and they're screaming. And I know, and, and there's a little old nurse that has come on in the afternoon shift, like at 3 o'clock. And she's like 100, okay. <laughs> and she's walking around, and she knows her way around. You can tell. She has been doing this forever. She walked out in the hall, and I followed her out into the hall, out of the room. And I said, honey, we were in here all day yesterday. I said, we've been in here all day today. My wife is exhausted. Is there anything I can do to help her? Because she is hurting. And the lady said, well, your wife is very small, 
And the baby inside of her is very large. She's got a big baby in there. And she's not, she doesn't have the ability, she's not able to push hard enough to get the baby's head to crown. Now I'm a 21-year-old guy whose mom never had that. I don't know anything about heads crown and all that. kind. I don't know anything about any of this. All I know is this. She's not doing well and it's hurting her. And I said, okay, what does that mean? She says, well, she has to push hard enough. Once the baby's head crowns, the area's going to open up wide enough. The baby's been in the birth canal probably for the last two days ready to come out. She just has to push hard enough, but she's tiny and she can't push that big baby hard enough. I said, how can I help her? The nurse looked at me and she said, you really want to help her? I said, yeah. She said, okay, go in there and make her mad. I said, huh? She said, if you make her mad enough, she'll push hard enough. She pushes hard enough, that baby's head will crown. It won't be long, that baby will pop. I said, I'm good at this. <laughs> I've been doing this for a couple of years. Honest truth, 100% true. You can ask her, she'll be here tomorrow. I ask her. But watch this. I walked back in the room, and she's having contractions like every two minutes, so there's no time elapsed here at all. I walked in the room, took her hand, and she started having a contraction. She squeezed my hand. She starts going, oh, oh, oh. I said, oh, shut up. You have been doing this for two days. If you didn't want to have this baby, you should have thought that nine months ago. She's like, just get out of here. Just get out of the room. And she is screaming. 601. Baby's born at 632. Okay. That nurse is howling. She's about to fall down laughing. And Lori looks at me, and me and the nurse are laughing, which only made it worse. Both of you just get out of here! We don't want you in the room! (laughs) She went through it. But when that little baby was born, and they put Nicole on her, everything was fine. Do you understand? All the pain and all the stuff... And she wasn't mad at me anymore. (laughs) And I was the best dad ever. (laughs) When a woman has travail, she has sorrow. Because her hours come. But once that baby's born, there's joy. The disciples were going to be in travail because Jesus is going to literally be slaughtered, marred more than any other man. But when they see him in the power of the resurrection, all the pain, the confusion... When all the dots start coming together for them and the light comes on, oh my gosh, what an amazing moment. Y'all follow where I'm at? What I find whenever, again, we're relating everything to our identity and truth and trying to walk out kingdom principles. God help us that our kingdom theologies would become kingdom realities. Because that has to happen. But once those dots start connecting, and once all this truth starts to really get in, that we're not just embracing truth, we're living truth, we're walking truth, and the reality of who we are becomes so very, very real. The joy when those dots start coming together, because all the confusion is just dissipating. Are there still things we don't understand? Sure, there's still going to be things we're not going to understand. I promise you something. I live in the realm where I have more questions than answers. I like it that way because it propels me to keep growing. Because it propels me to keep going after truth. And I promise you something. Every time I get an answer to one of those questions, it raises two new questions. (laughs) And I'm okay with that because Paul called it a mystery. There's a reason he refers to it as a mystery. There's going to be things we're not going to understand, but we continue to pursue truth. 
And when he, the spirit of truth, is come, what's he going to guide you in? All truth. So we're going after truth. We're, we're constantly pursuing truth. Watch what he says, okay? Because it's pretty neat. And you now, therefore, have sorrow. Why? Because he told them he's leaving. And they don't understand all this. He's even told them several times. He's actually told them very specifically three times. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. Now, he also told them three times and I'm going to rise again. They didn't get the rise again part. They didn't get, how do you know they didn't get it? Because they weren't at the tomb. If they'd have understood what he said, because three times, specifically on three different occasions, he said, on the third day, I'm going to raise again. If that had clicked in their head, I promise you they'd have had a camp tents everywhere. They'd have been bringing friends and family. They'd have had everybody. Why? Because they know he's going to rise again. I don't know if I shared this with you. If I did, just stop me. But I became friends with a guy out of, out of Alabama. And he preached from Matthew 10. He's a pastor. Had amazing thing. God did amazing things in his life. Um, Bob Shadows. Did I talk to you about Bob Shadows from Alabama? Amazing things in his life. He was shot four times in the chest as a policeman. Four times in the chest at point blank range. Holes in his shirt. Holes in the seat of the police cruiser and not a hole in his body. It's an amazing story. Uh, Bob Shadows, Revival, Revival Fire and Glory Ministries. Friends with Ruth Heflin out of, uh, out of Ashland, Virginia. Uh, very, very close friends. But Bob Shadows, I, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but let me tell you this part. God did amazing things in his life. Awesome stuff going on in his life. In the process of that, what I'd tell you is he preached from Matthew 10. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Right? And he preached to his church on Sunday morning, fervently, with fire and passion. On heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. You know what I mean? Cast out devils, raise the dead. And he told him, and he preached really hard on the raising the dead part, that we as the body of Christ need to be raising the dead. Woman in this church, her husband was a pillar in that church, been there for years. Died that afternoon. In the emergency room in Atlanta, Georgia. Dead, cardiac arrest, coded. She called him, tears. She said, you preached this morning that we have the power to raise the dead. So now you need to come down here and do it. Her husband's just coded, flatlined. Doctors are still in there. He's in the emergency room, still in there. She will not let them take his body. Pastor Shadows is coming. He said, I'll be right there. He came to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, he knew several of the doctors because he'd been in that hospital hundreds of times. The doctors have come in. He's coming over and he meets one of the doctors and he asks for the man. And they said to him, they said, well, um, said Reverend Shadows, thanks for coming, but you're late. He's already expired. That's what they told him. And Bob, country boy, he said, he said, well, I understand that. He said, but can you tell me what room is? I'm here to pray for him. They said, no, sir, you don't understand expired means dead <laughs> they figured he didn't know what expired meant <laughs> he said i know that i've come to pray for him can you just tell me what room he's in he said sir he died he said yes sir i understand that can you just point me to his room because they're not used to somebody coming to raise the dead in a hospital in atlanta right he gets to where the room is and there's 50 people there 
And he looks at the wife and he says, who are all these people? She said, they were up in the cafeteria having lunch. And I told him, have you ever seen somebody raise the dead? (laughs) She brought the cafeteria down. That's a true story. Let me tell you the rest of the story because you've got to know the rest of the story because it's awesome. I wouldn't be telling you this if there wasn't more, right? He takes the man by the hand and he starts praying. And he's praying. And his words, and I talked with Bob, he said the man's hand was cold. He says, praying for him, he's praying for him. And he's praying for him. And he's, he says, you know how you usually pray with your eyes closed, you know, when you're praying? He said, but I had to keep peeking. <laughs> he said, and I'm praying. He said, I've been praying for a little while. He says, probably pushing, you know, four or five minutes. And he says, but I'm praying. He says, and when I looked, he said, I saw his eyes flutter. He said, let me tell you something. When you're praying and you're praying, he says, and then you get a few eyes starting to flutter, all of a sudden your prayer changes. (laughs) He said, because I was praying, God, I just know that it's the will of God that you would raise the dead because you told us we could. And he said, and I was really praying. And he said, and I'm standing on the word. And God, I'm just believing in faith that this is the hour of power and this is the time. And he said, and his eyes fluttered. And he said, when I saw his eyes starting to flutter, he said, in the name of Jesus. And he said, he started really, because your prayer changes once you start to say it. And the beep started coming on a little thing. Within two minutes, the man was sitting up in the bed telling them about his experience because he said, I was up here watching all of you pray for me. And he told Bob Shadows, he said, you should have seen the doctor's face when the beep came back on. (laughs) I don't understand all that. I don't know that all in the body, out of the body. I'm not even familiar with all that. All I can tell you is this. It's the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. God wants to do amazing things in this hour. So I guess when I share that, I guess where I'm at is this. Watch this. Verse 22, and you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man can take from you. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because once you start walking in truth, nobody can take truth from you. Watch this. You can choose to lay it down, but nobody can take it from you. You can choose not to walk in it, but it's still going to be in you. Nobody can take it from you once once the seed of truth has been planted in your heart. That's amazing to me. Okay, we'll pick it up from here tomorrow. I will get through this I, sooner or later. Okay, but understand this is powerful stuff. What I want to show you, and there's a couple of things. Oh, well, we'll just get to it tomorrow. I don't want to hold you. Stand with me. We've got to pray. Okay. One of the things I think is imperative that we grab a hold of is this. We need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that there's a lot of people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit that aren't walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Just because you spoke in tongues doesn't mean you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to get you to a place because we're going to talk about it. Because I believe there's an initial baptism, but I think there's many fillings. They were baptized in Acts chapter 2, but they're filled in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 19. I know that. One baptism, many fillings. It's a lot of the same people over and over, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's one initial baptism, but there's many fillings. I think we need refilled because we leak. God wants us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants us. I just believe He so wants to demonstrate His power on planet Earth. And He chooses to use guys like you and I. It's amazing. May I stand here and tell you, it's not looking for your education. 
You have three instructors in this school, Pastor Dan, Pastor Todd, and myself. None of us have a post-high school education at all. But I believe that God doesn't need that kind of... And Lord forbid, don't hear this wrong. I would ever take away from education. Matter of fact, I encourage everybody to go and get as much as you can. Uh, push my son, my daughter. Education is very, very important to me, so don't hear it wrong. But God so wants to make you, for you just to be available and allow the Holy Spirit. See, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He shall guide you into all truth. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to guide you in truth. I believe the best university you can go to is Holy Spirit U. And I would suggest majoring in neology. Okay. Yeah, neology is a good class. Just bow your head with us. Father, I just thank you. What a privilege and an opportunity we have to be able to share together in your word, to be able to, to just digest the word of God, to be able, Lord, to share truth with one another, to learn and grow from one another and experience the reality of just living and walking in your kingdom on planet earth. God, it's an amazing time for us all as we pursue truth, as we pursue the things of the spirit, as we pursue the realities of who you are in us. God, I thank you for every heart that's open to receive from you. And I'm just asking you, Father, come and bless and anoint your people and may the power of the Holy Spirit be the resonant thing in our lives. God, as we walk out truth, God, teach us what it is to continue coming after you, that we might be like Klaus who died climbing, that there'd never be a moment in our life where we're not finding ourselves pursuing you and climbing mountains and finding ourselves walking in truth. God, I pray for a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding, because Lord, if there's truth, then there's greater truth. And God, we pursue greater truth. We pursue greater realities. We pursue, Lord, that our kingdom theologies would become kingdom realities so that we don't just have a head knowledge, but we have an experiential knowledge of what it is to live and walk in your kingdom on the earth. Father, I bless that right now. And just pray, God, that we would grow in faith and we would grow in the knowledge of the Son of God and we would find ourselves pursuing all that you have for us. So, Father, I just bless that right now. Help us, Father, as we pursue you with everything in our heart that we might find ourselves growing in God. And we bless that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to do a covered dish dinner, then that's tomorrow, right? Right after class tomorrow. So make plans for that. God bless you. Hug somebody. You're dismissed.